and we're live. Uh, we're on here with Rabbi Yosef Yitzhak Gazinski. Shalom Aleichem, Shalom Aleichem. Aleichem, Shalom. A couple days in Israel. Uh, we're both in Israel. Um, last time I checked, at least, Rabbi, you're still here with me, right? Yes, I am. Uh, we're both here in er Israel, Eretz HaKodesh, a um, couple days before Vavir, which is uh, Independence Day for Israel. Um, hey, 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 right, right. Hey, and what is it? Vavir is on the Nidcha, right? That's right. That's right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. Okay. So, hey, you Stand corrected. I think we're going to have a lot of those throughout this podcast, especially about Zionism. Um, but before I, I, I get in, because this is going to be the first episode uh, of my podcast, uh, Religiously Balanced, that I'm putting out, I recorded already one with Zevi Slavin, a uh, scholar of mysticism and a biblical scholar. Uh, but the audio was a bit off. So I don't know when that's going to be released. This is probably going to be the first one released. I just want to get, I know we spoke about it personally back and forth. I want to get your take on the name of the podcast and of the logo, which you, you saw and you had some, uh, some comments about. Yes. Yeah, so the name is a beautiful name. Uh, religiously balanced. I think it's exactly what your, your objective that you set out to do. And I think that it's very important that a name should reflect what a person's objective is. That's what a name is. But in, as far as, also there's nothing wrong with saying religiously balanced, it's important for a person to know the ex famous expression, Sagot which is a Yiddish expression, and it's a correct expression that you have to know how to be a man to God, but you have to also be Ohuv Labriyos, right? You have to be Ohuv Lashamayim and Ohuv Labriyos. You have to love God and you also have to love human beings, and the two are not, God forbid, a contradiction. So the name is wonderful. The logo, in my opinion, is... By the way, I'm not saying necessarily that, you know, everybody would, everybody has their own name they like to pick. And that's the beautiful thing about these things, that everybody gets to pick his own name, his own way of expressing, his own form of expression, as long as it works out according to the fundamentals of Yiddishkeit. And I see no contradiction between the name and the fundamentals of Yiddishkeit, and that's precisely the objective you set out to do. But as far as the logo, that is something that... I, the logo is very nice, and I actually like the idea of trying to show how Judaism is a religion that has a place for everybody, not just for Jewish people, but all human beings in the world have a place in Yiddishkeit. And Judaism sees all human beings as sons of God, as the Chassam Soifer says, all human beings are children of God. The Jewish people are the firstborn son of God. And we're all serving God, and the Jewish people are the firstborn son of God. And therefore, Judaism is not a religion that believes that everybody has to be like them. That's actually one of the things that makes Judaism so unique, is that Judaism is the only religion that believes that in order to achieve salvation, the only major religion, little religions, they, not, they don't really have their own ideology. They feed off other ideologies that ultimately go back to Judaism. Talking about a major world religion, it's the only one that believes that to achieve salvation, you don't have to be Jewish. You have to keep the seven Noahide laws, which basically every decent guy basically keeps if he is living in a civilized society. You have people in India which are living in a not such civilized society. It depends which part of India. But yeah, they're living in a very barbaric culture where they still eat. They eat they, they, there's cannibalism and there's all kinds of crazy things. And they indeed are not keeping Sheva Mitzvahs. But anybody who lives in a civilized society basically keeps Sheva Mitzvahs. And therefore, Judaism is an all-encompassing religion. Let me just say one last point before you, you touch on this. And uh, that is that Judaism believes that every single person in this world, if he keeps the seven Noahide laws, he will achieve salvation. The seven laws that were given to Noach, he will achieve salvation and 
Um, he does, well, let's enumerate quickly what the seven Ohai laws are, believing in one God. And by the way, a Gentile, according to the way we paskin, according to the way we, t- we take on bottom line Allah, a Gentile is allowed to believe that God has helpers, as long as he believes that there's one central God. Of course, that's not the true belief, and for a Jew, that's idolatry. But for a Gentile, we say it's okay for him to believe in that. Not that that's the truth. It's very interesting. See, that's the tricky thing. It's not the truth. It's total heresy. But if a Gentile believes that, we forgive him. Because we say he's not the firstborn son. You know, he's the little son, and therefore he doesn't know as much yet. And one day, we hope he'll know the full truth. We hope. We're not going to force him. We hope. But upon him, that's that. So the first, that's that. So you believe in one God. I'm not saying them necessarily in order. Believe in one God. You have not to kill. You have not to steal. Not to commit adultery. You have... Not to curse God, God forbid. You have um, to not to not to eat a living uh, a, a limb from a living animal, which is a very common practice in the ancient culture. Not to, to bite off flesh from a living animal, and including that, of course, is also not to torture animals and not to abuse animals unless it's necessary for human beings. Then it's a mitzvah to, to even torture an animal for the sake, if it's necessary for the human beings, it's a mitzvah to do whatever you got to do. That not what, to would be, what would be an example of that where you would have to torture an animal uh, for the sake of a human? experiments as the best example and it's a very painful example but most of the good medicines we have for very complex issues where they used animals as guinea pigs it's very painful and trust me the doctors that do it are not happy to hurt animals right <laughs> but there's no choice but that's that and, and by the way in that case i i worded it a bit wrong so let me correct myself it's not that you're allowed to torture. It's a mitzvah to torture animals. God forbid. It's a mitzvah to do whatever you can to save the human's life. And if you have to torture, you have to torture. But we try to avoid it as much as possible. And finally, to establish courts of law and to abide by them, which includes having charity organizations. Because you can't really have justice unless you have charity. You know, ultimate, ultimate capitalism cannot exist. Right. As, by the way, ultimate socialism also can exist. You need a balance of both, which is the, today, generally speaking, and again, I'm very careful with my words, but at, at this very point right now in 2020, and not last year, not the coming year, at this very, very moment, it seems to be the Republican Party in the United States is more in line with that. that I'm not saying what was, and I'm not saying what will be. At this right. very moment, it seems to be the Republican Party is more in that direction. And right. um, that's, oh, so, oh, so, Finished, finally finished my long drasha. Basically, if you don't, if you do the Sheva Mitzvahs, you get salvation. You do not have to believe in anything of Judaism. You don't even have to believe the Jewish people are the chosen people. Could you imagine? That's a, it's an incredible belief for the Jewish people. And yet you can get salvation. It's an unbelievable belief. People have to realize that. So therefore, I love very much the logo. But I have a comment to make, or just a small point or a big point. But first, let me hear what, what is your feedback as the host of this wonderful program. It's <laughs> most ingenious when you manage to put together how you speak and how you organize this. May thank God you, continue thank you, thank you. Thanks. Amen, amen. Uh, no, uh, first of all, I never heard that from the Hasim Cypher. I think it's a really, really great, great analogy, actually, uh, the firstborn son, because I'm a firstborn son, even though I don't have any other brothers. But I understand the relationship that a father has to a firstborn son, and the father actually verbalizes and may sometimes make other uh, sons or daughters feel a bit uncomfortable. But there is something with the father, especially to the firstborn son, and I assume the mother also to the uh, uh, you know firstborn uh, daughter, um, where it's it's like the continuation is what my father always would say. You know, you're my continuation, hemshech uh, in, in in Hebrew, um, and. 
he because of that he also expects more from the firstborn son so that would be like the according to the you know the jewish god in the bible expecting so much more of the jew you know the 613 commandments uh, versus the the seven uh, noahide laws that's without even getting into all the rabbinic decrees and and things that come along with uh with you know with the jewish uh, religion um but at the same time if you ask a father that expects so much more of his firstborn son and all of that if you ask him uh, about his love his love for all of his children is equal so that's 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 a nice analogy um with regarding that's to the, correct. with regarding to the title of religiously balanced um and the reason why i put uh at least a you know a nod or whatever the exact word to, would be but to the christian faith and islam I think these are the three biggest religions, uh, especially in the West, obviously in America and even in Israel. And so these are our neighbors. And at a certain point, we have to start a, a dialogue, you know, uh, of balance of like, hey, certain things aren't going right. You know, let's not, at least as of yet, this is not an episode about the different religions, but we don't have to cherry pick which religion we're talking about. But certain things aren't going right. There's, there's a heavy lack of balance, if you want to use that word. Um, and I think if all religions get together and, and, and have a conversation, it doesn't mean that, you know, you have to have, you know, the practices change or anything like that. But if, even if just a, a, a Jewish man of faith, a Christian man of faith and a Muslim man of faith could all come together and sit down and say, Hey, how could we learn from each other, how we achieve balance in our religion? Maybe that could work for you guys also. Um, I think that does a lot. So as of now, I don't, I don't expect to have any Muslims listening. Um, but you know, eventually you never know uh muslims or christians listening and eventually you never know and so to be able to put them originally on the uh on the uh on the podcast cover uh, i think that was that was what i was going for and yeah yeah i i i agree with you that it's important <clears throat> that it's important to uh, you know have a dialogue i think that the dialogue has to be done under very very specific circumstances where it's made clear right from the beginning that we're not trying to influence your religion and you're not going to influence our religion we're not we're also not going to discuss whose religion is the true religion right we're just having a dialogue on a practical level in other words this is a practical discussion we live in the 21st century and we have to make sure that although we're religious people that we live in peace with each other which halacha has a very simple but most beautiful term for it it's called dar sholem ways of peace and sometimes for the sake of the ways of peace, you're even allowed to lie. You're allowed to lie for the sake of the ways of peace. That's what's brought down for Dar Sholem. I mean, there, there have been rabbis, for example, who would sometimes not even say the simple words that the belief of Judaism that we're the firstborn son, even though you said it's such a beautiful, you explained it so beautifully, uh, how, you, how you explained how it's very understood. But you'll be surprised that this explanation can make some people get very very angry why i don't understand and i'm not even going to try to understand it because to me i just i don't see why it should make people upset but some people get very very angry when they hear it they think it's supremacist i don't see anything supremacist but the fact is there would be rabbis who would lie about it and they would say in, in certain circumstances of course not in an official lesson but if they see that the other side is going to get very antagonized they'll sometimes not say this although judaism doesn't really have anything to cover up you can check our books it's all it's all full of love and there's no hate there whatsoever but nevertheless sometimes you have to be careful so under the circumstances for the ways of peace so definitely there should be such meetings and they should be held by people who are skilled not every jewish person can do it someone like yourself someone who's capable and who understands social skills should do it and with the guidance of rabbis everything should be done with the guidance of rabbis but no religious symbols we we cannot like acknowledge the religions and that it's true we can only acknowledge their right to practice as they want and that we 100 percent acknowledge so 
I would more show pictures of them, of, of European people with their country, with their flags. And I would show pictures of um, Asian people and Middle Eastern people, the people of different colors of skin and with their, with their flags of their countries. And I would say, and we're going to live in peace with all of these people. And I would even be willing to hide my own religious symbol just in order to bring out that this is about peace between three groups. Right, interesting. That's, yeah, in other words, I would say like this. I would not stick in my, I would write the names, but I would, I would hide my own religious symbol to make it clear this is not about religion. This is about living as human beings with each other. At a certain point, we have to be realistic. If we're going to sit and argue all day whose religion is real, <laughs> the rest of the story I don't have to finish, right? right. Exactly. So, but I, I, I would not put a symbol of Hinduism or a symbol gotcha. of Christianity because then I, it's, it's giving credence. And also think about it. If I had to sit down with someone that made my father angry, uh, a certain symbol that made my father angry makes my father want to throw up, I would not put that symbol there because it makes God, and my father is God. I don't want to make God angry. God doesn't like these symbols because I know the truth that God, they might disagree with me and fine, they can disagree with me. I'm not forcing them, but I have to be true to my beliefs. So my beliefs are that this is a false belief. So that's why I would say the meetings should not even be held in religious areas. They should be totally focused on practicality. We're right. humans, we're living in the 21st century, and let's talk about the one thing we do have in common. We all believe in God. Now, of course, they don't believe, the Christians believe in, the Muslims actually do believe in one God. The problem is that the Quran has too much, whatever, it's, it's, it's complicated. It's just too complicated. The Quran itself, this they won't disagree, the actual literature of the Quran has too many verses with violence against Jewish people. And that's the main issue. But the belief of Islam actually is a belief of monotheism. And not maybe to the fullest extent of Judaism, that God is infinite, he's found inside everything. But the general idea is there. Christianity doesn't really have pure monotheism unless you're dealing with the evangelicals and with the Protestants. But if you're dealing more with the Catholics, they, they look at Yeshu. They look at Yeshu as a, God, as, as a helper to God, not just as a prophet, but as a helper to God. That's not pure monotheism, even in a general sense. But like we said before, Gentiles are allowed to believe right. that God has helpers providing that he believes that there is one central God and these are only helpers. And he, for a Gentile, that is allowed. For a Jew, that is idolatry. But for a Gentile, that is allowed. Gotcha. I still haven't made my decision. I think I'm going to stick with just the original, uh, at least that logo. I may create uh, more logos. Um, but I think it's... It is your decision to make. And, and right, you, I know. You, I'm not saying not, not even that it's uh, catchy, but it's just, you know, it's something it's. Something that's it's it's clear what the objective is. Sort of, you have the menorah for the Jewish religion, you have the fish for the Christian religion, um, and the Sikh, uh, which is, isn't even actually Islam, but you know could get interpreted as such. Um, as the Sikh sort of meditating, it was sort of a mix of two things. Either way, so now let's let's move to uh, to Hayar Hey Vavir um, uh, Independence Day, Yom Ha'atzmaut, correct in Hebrew? Yom Ha'atzmaut, that's right. I'm pretty but sure I, at least Hayir always falls out on my bris, and I was always born on Yom HaShoah. So, yeah, I have that, uh, that connection. Um, if that makes sense, days-wise, something like that. I'm going to be Yom HaZikaron. Either way, um, with regarding to that, I'm gonna, just going to let you take that and start from wherever. Sure thing, Kaski. So, um, the, the, uh, look, it's a very, very vast subject, but I'll, I'll start 
from a positive perspective. The reality is, there is no question about it, that the state of Israel is a miracle from God. The state of Israel is not only a miracle from God, the state of Israel is something that has given hope to Jews all around the world, and it is a sign. And here I have to be very, very careful. It's incredible how, how much lies in words. You know, words matter. Not only actions matter, words actually matter. The way you write something on a piece of paper, one word can make a difference. Like, the, like King Solomon writes, right? right? It's incredible. It's a simon. I must underline this with 50,000 underlines, even though it's only words. <laughs> a simon of Moshiach. A simon of his coming, a sound of his footsteps, a shine of his light, but not actually his coming in any way, shape, or form. You see, it's incredible how delicate this issue is. It's unbelievable how delicate this is. That's why I'm underlining this right away. The state of Israel is a simon of Mashiach. It is definitely the sound of his footsteps. And it is definitely the beginning. It is definitely, oh, I started going down the wrong road. And it is definitely a shine. It's incredible. It's definitely a shine. And it's definitely, it's definitely a shine of his light. And I'm even going to drop an atom bomb. It is also partly the concept of the, the revelation of Elijah. I'll soon explain how. It's also partly the partly. Not fully, but partly the revelation of, of Elijah the prophet, which is uh, literally, yeah, go ahead. I just want to, I, I should have started with this, but um, we're actually, the questions I'm asking you, obviously, you're answering them all from the perspective of uh, Chabad's philosophy on Zionism. Correct? Oh, that's very, very important. Yeah, actually, you'll be surprised. What I'm answering now is the perspective of Chabad, but you'll be surprised to this. It is the perspective of the vast majority of rabbis and i'm going to give you now three books so you can actually look up where you will see incredibly what the rebbe's shita and you will also see quotes from the vast majority of rabbis in the haredi world with the exception of a few who i will mention by name that all agree with us so this is the consensus of vast majority of orthodox rabbis i'm going to mention the books three books right now one book is called shalom shalom ve'en shalom from Rabbi Sholom Deiver Alevi Volpe. Another book is, by the way, these books are well-researched with quotes. They're done very methodically. The people that work on these books, like Rabbi Volpe, are very methodical workers. They're like surgeons. They quote every page and every text. You can see it all there in great detail. Shalom, Shalom, Ve'en Shalom. Another, which I think I would even read before, is Das Torah Be'inyan Amatzev Be'eretz HaKadosh. Da Torah Be'inyan Amatzev Be'eretz HaKadosh. It's quite a long book, but it's that Torah in short. That's actually a book that the Rebbe alone gave an, a sort of an agreement. The Rebbe like thanked them very much for that book and asked them to spread it, which means that Rebbe basically, Rabbi Volpe, which means that basically that is a book that represents his view. Another is a book called Bain Oyer Levein Choyshech. That's the third book. Bain Oyer Levein Choyshech. And finally, um, there is another book that just came out not long ago. Um, it's a pity that I, I cannot recall the name, so I'm not going to try to interrupt the, our session here. I'll just tell you the general name. It was written by a, a writer by the name of Yossi Elitov. So type in on Google, Yossi Elitov, Harabi uh, Milobavich, Bitachon, Eretz Yisrael. Type in those words. It's going to come up on Google right away. And, um, and he was interviewed about it, Yossi Elitov. He's a wonderful writer and a speaker of Chabad in Eretz Yisrael and uh, spokesman of Chabad. Those four books, I, I mentioned even additional, and there's many more books I can give, but will suffice for that because we can't give every single book on the shelf, obviously. 
are basically where I'm drawing my sources, but those books actually quote extensive sources from most rabbis around the world that agreed with this approach. So this is the consensus of most Orthodox Jews, with the exception of the following groups, Rabbi Cook, uh, and the, Mizra the Mizrahist movement, the Tnuat HaMizrahi, Rabbi Yoel of Satmer, Rabbi Yoel of Satmer, Rabbi J.B. Soloveitchik, pretty much those three rabbis would disagree with this approach. But all other rabbis would agree with this approach. Um, another one which I think would disagree with this approach because he, he, said, he said very funny statements was a rabbi by the name of, uh, his, 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 last, his, his last name was Shach. He was very disrespectful to Lubavitcher Rebbe, and Lubavitcher Rebbe is my Rebbe, so I, I feel, despite the fact that I respect all rabbis, even those who disagree with the Rebbe, and I'll mention rabbis who disagree with the Rebbe without a problem, like Rabbi Kanyevsky or the Chazoy Nish, but they did it in a respectful way. He didn't do it in a respectful way. The Rebbe is my father, so I don't want to mention him extensively. I'm going to stay away from him, because he was very disrespectful to, to the Rebbe, to the Rebbe. So we'll leave him on the side. He also didn't agree with this. Uh, with this we, we didn't, he had his own view, which was a very, very difficult view to understand and totally not practical and, and, and incorrect according to the sources of Judaism. But the other three rabbis disagreed with the Rebbe, but they did it in a respectful way. So that's why I'm mentioning their names. And they totally disagreed with the Rebbe completely. But, they, they, but the vast majority of rabbis agree with this. And let me say what this view is very simple. The state of Israel is a great, wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. There's only two problems with the state of Israel. There's also a third one, but the third one is something which doesn't exist today practically. It's more in the past. The first two are problems which exist currently. I'll start with the ones which exist currently. One, the state of Israel was not founded on Torah and Mitzvahs. It was not founded on Torah and Mitzvahs. We're coming now from, Be from Beis Iyar. Beis Iyar, before Hay and Vav Iyar. Beis Iyar is a great holiday in Chabad and should be a great holiday for all Jewish people, which I'm sure it is for many. It's the birthday of the Rebbe Maharaj, the fourth Rebbe of Chabad, Rabbi Shmuel of Lubavitch. He was a prolific author. He wrote the whole series of Torah Shmuel. But in addition to that, he was a wonderful, wonderful thinker, and he, he basically took Chabad into the modern world. And he taught a very interesting line about Israel. They asked him, what does he say about the organization called Bet Yaakov Lechuven Elcha? Bilu, Bet Yaakov Lechuven Elcha, which was the organization that brought European Jews to Israel. And he said and encouraged European Jews to come to Israel and help them settle here. And he said, I love it. There's only one problem. They forgot the last two words of the verse. Be'or Hashem. Bet Yaakov house of Jacob, let us rise and go. Be'or Hashem in the light of God. If they would only add the two last words, Be'or Hashem, I would join them with 50,000 chassid. Which means to say, making a state of Israel is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And it, it, it's not only wonderful, it is necessary. But it had to be done according to Torah and mitzvahs. Some might say that's not practical. It is practical. It is practical. You know what? It just would have been a little bit of a smaller state physically, perhaps. But you know what? I would rather have a smaller state, but it keep Torah and mitzvahs than a, than a bigger state, which is not following in the ways of Torah and mitzvahs, first of all. And second of all, it's not true. Ultimately, it might have started off small, but it would have gained the respect of the world and it would have grown beyond leaps and bounds. And ultimately, we know the truth. There's a God in the world and God would have made it grow. Would have made it grow. The reality is it was a big mistake. They founded a state in the Holy Land against Torah Mitzvahs. And you came and you impurified my land. Now, once the state is here, it's too late. You can't take it away. <laughs> Taking away the state would be A, a tremendous chil Hashem. The Gentiles would say, ah, the Jews can't do anything. B, 
the reality is that it's a mitzvah for Jews to live in the land of Israel. So why kick away the state? Work with the state to make it a better state and see it would be, and that's the most important point, it would be so dangerous for Jewish people if God forbid the state ceased to exist because we would never be able to live under the Arabs. We all know God forbid the end of the story, God forbid. And in addition, it would be dangerous for Jews all over the world because Jews would look vulnerable. So therefore, it's impossible to reverse the state of Israel. That is why the only thing we can do right now is exactly what the Orthodox world is doing. <laughs> they couldn't do it any better. They, of course, we can always get better. But I'm saying just continue to have families and have children, good children, children that want kindness, and slowly but surely change the demographics of the state. But that's not enough. Also, start working on making other Jewish people feel comfortable and at home with Yiddishkeit. And according to Aloha, only according to Aloha, Kirov must be done according to Aloha. And then what happens is the state will hopefully become eventually a, a, a state of terror mitzvahs. And it will ultimately become a state of terror mitzvahs. And guess what? Let's hope Mashiach comes way before that. And then the Kirov will be done in one, set, in one shot. Amen. Understand the first point. Uh Got the first point. Let me ask you a question, practically speaking. So you're saying that the founders, um, they weren't basing the state of Israel on, uh, on the ideas of Torah mitzvahs. What would be an example, oh. one example of how, how they didn't found, sorry, they didn't create the state of Israel in that way and how they could have done it different and what would, what would sort of be the difference the way the state is today? Meaning, well, let's let's start. Let's start from the uh, yeah. I, I got. That. I understand the point. Let's start from the ideological. We'll go to the physical. There's so many okay. examples. I can't. I can't even begin. Let me just say quickly, very very quickly, that there's a beautiful documentary called Herzl Vatsionut. You just have to go online. I think there might even be English subtitles. Herzl Vatsionut. You will see over there not only the, not only were the founding fathers of Israel not orthodox, they were anti-orthodox in the most vile, anti-Semitic, sick way. They have over there quotes from their books, which you can't deny, they published these books. And in one case, the book wasn't published, but a doctor who knew him published the book. And we have his writings of Herzl, the stuff he said, people thought he was, it's a scary name to mention, but people thought he was Hitler from the stuff he was saying. It's scary. You can look it up over there in great detail, unbelievable quotes, verbatim, weird, everything is taken from, it's incredible, and it's shocking. But the reality is that, examples, let me give right now offhand, one, the terrible, terrible, terrible mistake of not writing the Vitachon Hashem Eloke Israel, not writing God's name, not in the anthem. They insisted on not having God's name in the anthem, and they insisted that Tikva and not having God in the Declaration of Independence, the Megillat Hatzmaut. It's frightening. They wrote Bekoshi Godel, you know, after begging and negotiating, the Orthodox Jews in Israel managed to squeeze out of them that they should write the Vitachon Suri Israel in the hope in Suri Israel. I mean, it was just incredible if you think about it, how, the, um, how, how foolish that was and how mistaken that was to not write God's name. That's total heresy. It's basically saying we don't believe in the concept that God is the one that brought us here. We don't agree with that. And that's on the ideological level. On the practical level, also, unfortunately, there are way too many examples. But let's talk about the lack of keeping Shabbos, for example that the state of Israel officially is Mechal Shabbos. They have, not only for security purposes, that you'd be allowed to, you'd be allowed to for security, but they officially allow theaters to be open. And it's one thing if a person privately decides in the state of Israel, we'll soon discuss how would that work exactly. How would you have a state according to Halacha? You obviously don't want, you want it to be religiously, what's the word? Balanced, huh? So <laughs> you, you, don't want it to be, you don't want it to become some kind of, you know, Iran. I'm not saying Iran's a bad country, but currently Iran is not a very nice place to live. I think we can all agree on that, right? It once upon a time was, but currently it's not. So you don't want it to be like current Iran. So therefore, 
we would obviously have to sit down with great rabbis who also understand the art of being human, which is, by the way, an art that is essential to Judaism and comes, I'm proud to say, comes from Judaism, like Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, like the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and rabbis who had an incredible talent of being realistic. And they would guide us how we're able to make a state, which should also be a state that it allows for non-Orthodox people to do it, to live there. And probably the system would be that they should, they should, they, privately, we're not going to force upon you anything, but you're not going to get government funds if you break halachas. For example, if you live in your house and you want to uh, turn on the television, we're not going to stop you. But if you want to open a television store, you're not going to be able to get government funding or any government permits for opening up that store. If you want to so open a store government without funding a... or government permits, that's uh, it's two very different things. So, 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 yeah, but for small, meaning, yeah, for meaning making... if you didn't have a government permit, would it be illegal or would it just be frowned upon? What would be the, like, well, that is a very good question. You see, I, I must preface with great humility, but also the fact, the cold hard fact. I'm not a halachic, I'm not a massive halachic authority. I've actually studied a lot of halacha and yeshiva, right. I'm not a poison. So you have to understand, I'm not deciding over here. And there is no, the Rebbe or the, none of the great religious leaders ever wrote out a system for exactly how the state's going to work. So therefore, what I'm saying is speculation. Some of it is based on fact. But for example, that you're not allowed to be Mechal Shabbos and you cannot have a state that's Mechal Shabbos. Well, what to do with people who are Mechal Shabbos? That is a question. And we're going to have to deal with that question. I do not know. I'm not going to hack and shine to you right now and start telling you I know exactly what the rabbis are going to say. But let me tell you what I, let me tell you what I know for sure. They're not going to allow it. So no, there won't, your good point and correct, there won't be permits for it. What will be, that's clear. That is fact in Halacha Luk and Shulchan Aruch. You're not allowed to allow it. If you, if you see your friend going away, going off the ways of Teremesis, you're not allowed to give him a gushpanka. You have to be moicha. You're not allowed to give him a permit. That's a halacha. That's, that, that a five-year-old kid can tell you if you learn Shulchan Aruch. Basic Shulchan Aruch. Even kids are Shulchan Aruch. What to do with him? How we're going to put him in jail? Okay, we're definitely not going to hit it. That's for sure. We're not into that kind of stuff. We're not going to hit no beatings, no killings, none of that. Right. Are we going to put them in jail? I highly doubt it. Will there be a fine? I don't know what to tell you. You see, that, that, that is where I must admit I don't know. Let me tell you what I would have done, but who am I, Bechal? So take this with a grain of salt. What I would have done is I would have said that if you open the store on Shabbos, you went ahead and you opened the store anyways, there is going to be a fine. Um, yeah, there will be a fine. That's what I would say. I would say there will be a fine. Um, okay. You have, to, you have to understand, I am not a halakhic authority, so I can't, uh, right. I'm not going to start deciding here. But this I will tell you. In his private home, if he wants to watch television, we're not going to stop him. In other words, if he wants to connect to, to Google's Wi-Fi, and, uh, we're not going to stop him. We're not going to impose upon a person his own personal lifestyle. By the way, the state's also not going to happen in one shot. For example, when the state starts, there's going to be religious designated areas and non-religious designated areas. But the religious designated areas are going to be obviously much more strict than the non-religious designated areas. But again, all that will have to be discussed with a Paisic, a right. Lachic authority. One thing's for sure, it can be done. I just gave some examples of how it can be done. For example, you could say, if it's in a religious area, you get a fine. If it's not in a religious area, you don't get a fine. You understand what I'm saying? Right. By the way, there is, there is already, there is already an, implement, an implementation of that. I'm right now talking to you in the city of Cold B'nai Brak. In addition to the fact that B'nai Brak is a city built on the outskirts, in the areas of the, of the fields 
that are adjacent to the ancient site of Bnei Brak, which is not far from here in the in uh, the area of Chiria, which is today Park Ariel Sharom, where the ancient city of Bnei Brak, where Rabbi Akiva lived, is located. And this is this is the outskirts of the city, the fields which which were adjacent to the city, and the vineyards and the, the orchards. They, that's where Bnei, current Bnei Brak is today. Um, adjacent to the ancient city, connected to it and attached to it. So not only is it an ancient city, a great city, I spoke a little bit about my city, forgive me, I got very excited. And my wife is from here, so I got a little excited. So you'll <laughs> forgive me for talking, talking extra for a couple of seconds. I'll try to stay on top. We have the whole night. But more, yeah, but more importantly, more importantly, now on topic, is that this is not only the ancient city of Rabbi Akiva and the ancient city of the tribe of Don, but this is also the only city in Israel, which is a major city, which is completely Haredi. It's completely Haredi. It's the first complete Haredi city in Israel in 2,000 years. It's unbelievable. In a Jewish state, in 2,000 years, it's incredible. It's also the basis of Haredism for Israel, and some might say for the whole world, and they're, they're right in many ways. This city, if you drive here or open a store on Shabbos, you get a fine. The government, the secular government will agree to the fine. And it's happened already. So it could be that that will be, and let me tell you something, to be, and again, I'm not a halakh authority, so please, everything I say right now, just take it with a grain of salt, but about this specific point. But here's the thing. I believe that in the beginning, they're going to start off in stages. They'll say, let's say Tel Aviv, we're not going to give you a fine, but in Bnei Brak or the cities, or Jerusalem, for example, which will become very quickly a majority Orthodox city, over there, you will get a fine. And then eventually, as the demographics of the country change in peaceful ways only, and more and more Jews are coming to the ways of Torah, then they're going to say, you got a fine everywhere. One is for sure, it will never come to the violent level. Never, ever, 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 ever will it come to violence. And I don't think it will ever, ever come to jail time. So what if a guy doesn't pay the fine? Right. Classic. Pay the fine. That was, that was oh. what I was thinking as a libertarian. It's like yeah. taxes. Well, taxes are violent because if you don't pay them, yeah, you end up with a gunshot oh. header in jail. So yeah. Oh, so, so the, the rabbis invented. That? that is a very good question, and it's a genius question. That's why the rabbis invented something that's unbelievable. The rabbis were able, with their genius, to invent a system based on Torah, which is called chayrem. The Arabic word haram, by the way, which has completely corrupted it. You know, Arabic is is taken from Hebrew originally. Hebrew is, is Hebrew, according to our belief, is the most ancient language. But even according to the secular scholars, Arabic is based off Hebrew. So they took the word cheram, but they turned it into haram. They turned it into the concept of like, uh, in, uh, like annihilating an area. Sometimes they'll refer to that as haram. But uh, it depends also. It varies by them. Every group over there interprets the word haram. You're not going to find one interpretation. Right? You'll find like 15 different interpretations. But in our jargon, cheram means to say, cheram can mean two things. Either giving something away to God, giving it away completely. The word cheram, to give it away to God. And... Or, uh, well, there's also the concept of hacharim tacharim, which means to say to annihilate a dangerous nation, which is a threat to the Jewish people. But right. that's not, that's the word hacharim tacharim. But the word cheirem, when the word cheirem is used in halacha, in Jewish law, it always means one of two things. Or it means to give a cheirem to God, like give a korban to Hashem, a sacrifice, not human, God forbid, an animal sacrifice to God, or give, or let's say donate a lot of money. You say this is cheirem to God, this is all to God. Totally given away to God. In other words, I'm disconnecting myself from it. I'm, I'm, I'm giving it away to God. and I'm like removing it from my, from my possession. Because the word cheirem means to clean something out. To like remove something, to distance something. Or, or it means to distance a person, which means to say that the person now is excommunicated. Excommunication. Cheirem. Not God forbid you hurt him, you don't touch him. Everything's, peace, everything's peaceful, but we don't do business with you anymore. So if you don't pay the fine, you don't get any more government benefits.
No more government benefits. You don't pay the fine. No more government benefits. No more benefits for your family. No more benefits for you until you pay the fine. If it's too much for you to pay, we'll negotiate that. Or you can do public service instead. But there's a system here. Now, you might ask a question, what's going to happen if there's different opinions? This Faradim and Ashkenazim and there's different shit that's in halacha. What do you do? You pick the most fundamental level of Judaism. So, for example, if a guy's going to drink cholavakum, he doesn't get a fine. If he opens up a store that sells cholavakum, we're going to ask him not to do it in the area where people predominantly don't, uh, sell, don't want to drink it, obviously, but you don't have to poke people in the face. It's not a nice thing, right? But cholavakum, there is a rabbi that's moderate, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein. So because of that, we're going to say, okay, we're not going to give you a fine. We're asking for those most minimal, minimal, minimal observance of Judaism. Which means, I'm sorry for really like picking on a group of people. I don't mean to pick on them, but I must specify there's a group called Modern Orthodox. So they have very, they don't, you can't label them exactly. There's different variations. Some people are, are more into like keeping more, more parts of the law. Some people, they try to be more lenient. The most lenient, lenient, lenient Modern Orthodox person, and I'm not going to give examples of people, but the idea will not get any fines. Most basic observance. Tznias, we're going to go by the, <clears throat> we're going to go by the most basic observance of Tznias. The most the most minimal. So the rabbis are going to have to sit and figure out what is the most minimal way to keep Judaism. I'm telling you, it's not that difficult. It's really not that difficult. Right. And they're going to ask think, for the most minimal. Right. Um, so a couple of points. I just want to go all the way back from the beginning and play devil's advocate a bit. Um, if you'd entertain me for a little. Um, go ahead. It's your show. Talk as long so, as you need to. So, so with regarding to the... Uh, the ideals and the philosophy of, of, um, of the founding fathers of Zionism. So to pick the ones, I don't know the exact history, but obviously, uh, practically speaking, if you look at the difference in America and uh, the United States, like you said, you know, we have God on our, in America, we have God on the, the dollar bill and God we trust. Um, I, I don't think God is in the national anthem in America, but you have like, God bless America and all these songs. It, it's clear that God uh, was a lot more of a inspiration and a lot more of a uh, open topic um, that was embraced in the founding of America versus the founding of, of Israel, right? That That's right, yeah. Um, so to, to play devil's advocate a bit for, for the people who were creating Israel, um, you know, they were going through severe traumas. A lot of them, like the only way they could, they, they could even live is basically to denounce at least the God that they were brought up with, you know, sort of the chosen people, chosen for what? Chosen for the, you know, coming off of the Holocaust, obviously. Um, and, and, and times have changed. A lot of these same people's grandkids, even though if they're still secular, they're willing to a lot, a lot easier to embrace the idea of a God, maybe not a religious God, but just the idea of a God, uh, you know, a loving, caring father figure or whatever that, that, that cares for them, um, which back in the day and at, those, at that specific moment in history was a lot harder for that whole collective group to, to accept because of, of the traumas they've been through over the last just 30 years, 40 years, but even going back 100, 200, 300, right, et cetera. Um, so that's, first of all, that's with regard to the uh, ideology. It doesn't, it doesn't excuse it, obviously. It doesn't, uh, from, from, from a religious perspective, at least, it doesn't excuse it. You know, it, w it was wrong. They should have uh, included, uh, included God the same way America uh, did, again, from a religious perspective. Uh, but that's just, you know, sort of to be Muhammad's host, to, to pass uh, favorable judgment on the people who are creating the state of Israel. Um, uh -huh. Uh -huh. And, and practically speaking, um, I, I don't know how practical, I get you're, you're, you're giving some very good examples, but I don't know, to me, especially coming from America and having the American attitude, 
Um, and, and as a libertarian, um, with conservative values, I would say, but definitely libertarian, like I want to wake up in a state, even the state of Israel, that if tomorrow I want to join, you know, uh, a secular Tel Avivnik doing whatever he does on Shabbos, I want to have the option to do that. I don't want to feel like my religion is coming from the state. Um, because again, as someone who has very big issues with gov government overreach in areas that are completely not religious, so taxes, uh, uh, you know, school choice, gun rights, whatever it is, it, it's very hard for me, and I think for a lot of even religious people these days, like younger religious people, to embrace the idea of a state that, um, in essence, governs your religion even a bit. You know, America, in America, you have freedom of religion, but you also want to have freedom from religion. You don't want to have the government telling you, even in a Jewish state, I think for a lot of, even, again, religious Jews, um, you know, how to dress, what to keep on Shabbos, and then it, it just becomes a whole you know, a whole mess. And, and again, practically for the people that were creating Israel, again, they, they were trying to leave this a lot of them, you know, they were like, listen, we want to live with other Jews. We understand, you know, culturally, and also for the, you know, we're being tormented altogether. So we might as well find a place to live, but we're done with this whole rabbinic Judaism. We're done with all that. And, you know, we're willing to live with other Jews. We want to live with other Jews, but we want to have nothing to do with that. So let's create a state that gives the religious Jews freedom to do whatever they want, even though I'm sure there's a lot of stories where they tr tried as hard as they could not to allow them in and not to give them any control, but let them live with us, let them do whatever they want. If they want to practice religious Judaism, go ahead. But the state, um, as the state, because it's being founded by secular people, um, should remain uh, completely secular on most issues. Um, and obviously it's complicated when it comes to the law of return and you know who is a Jew, that whole uh, Mio Yehudi thing with the Rebbe, but uh, what would you say to that? You brought up a lot of good points and you managed to compact it in a short amount of time. <clears throat> and you expressed them very sharply, but basically um, the first point, the first point that you made um, is, I'll, I'll comment on that, that it is very, very, very clear, sharp, by the way, by sharp them and clearly, which is good. The question has to be presented clear because that way the answer, a lot of people, one of the issues of today's generation, I say that specifically, is that people don't know how to express a question. And because of that, they're not able to get the right answer. It's very bad. I see many times people don't ask the right question and they really mean to ask something else and they don't ask the right question. Therefore, they get the wrong answer and they get upset. It's good you express them clearly. I meant to say, I said sharply, I meant clearly. The idea is like this. The first point you made is, the first point is twofold. Number one, you're right. That's, my, that's maybe their attitude. You know, they had a hard life, et cetera, et cetera, in Russia and Poland and all the persecutions and everything. But at the end of the day, some of them were from Germany and Hungary also. But there was a lot of anti-Semitism. But the thing is that at the end of the day, I can't support it. I mean, I, I, as an Orthodox Jew, I cannot support a state which is going to be founded against Tehran Mitzvah. That's the first thing. Right, I'm saying if you, if you look at it, I don't want to interrupt you, but I just want to clarify. If you look at it more from like a thing here, we're being persecuted um, on a very practical level. We're being persecuted in every country that we are because we're different. Let's just put away our differences as religious versus secular Jews versus, you know, balanced, modern Orthodox, whatever term you want to use. Get together, create a state, and basically figure it out as it goes. But originally, we're creating a state that lets you do whatever you want religiously. You can be this, you can be that. We don't want to get the government involved. We just want to attract everyone. Religious people can you know, come, and, and, and it did. And there's another point I want to make, and I'll let you take over, is to me, it's very, very, like Chabad, at least philosophically, we could say we have, we have our differences with Zionism. The way, like you're saying, the way it was created, and yada, yada, yada. But practically, we'll never go and wave a Palestinian flag. We'll never go and... Um, and, and 
and and and hug Ahmadinejad. We'll never go. No, that's and, a bit, that's a I, 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 this is obvious to us, but I just you know, as opposed to a lot of other Hasidic communities, that to me it seems like okay, so go live in America. If you really have that big of an issue, even with practical Zionism, I mean the fact that the state actually even exists, you want to give it back to 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 the Arabs or the British or whatever other you know interesting ideas you have. Don't live here, you know, go, go live in America, go live in, in, in anywhere else if it's that big of an issue. Um, and another thing is Chabad, you know, we don't teach, um, this is just in the general way of how a state runs. Obviously, you could always rely on miracles, but we know that you can't rely on miracles for the basic, you know, how to run an economy, how to run, you know, public transportation or whatever it is. Chabad, we, even though we don't teach uh, technology, we're more focused on outreach and, and the religious studies and the way we were brought up. But at least we don't shun it, meaning we're not anti-technology. We're not, we, we want to do it in a positive way. And the Rebbe's whole approach to take television, to take these things and use it for the positive way. A lot of these communities that, you know, we would be looking to them for, for halachic guidance on how to run a state. If, 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 if the state would be left to their own devices, meaning naturally speaking, um, the high-tech industry wouldn't be there. Security would be a joke, meaning, some, you know what I'm saying? Like so some of these people barely know how to operate a computer. And listen, if this is their way of life and this is how they preserve Judaism, amazing. Do your thing. Uh, I want you to have a place in the Jewish state. But if if now you're trying to tell me that these are the people that should run, you know, the state, it just it it it's an, it's alarming. Um, so I want to hear your take on on that. That was sort of my clarification. Yeah, yeah, I, I understand. And look, I'll tell you what. The, the thing is like this. So number one, first things first, the, the issue over there with the, um, I cannot, as an Orthodox Jew, I cannot support something which is going to go against Halach. I just can't actively support it. If you plan on making a state against Taylor, I cannot actively support it. That's another thing. Now, what would be the solution to anti-Semitism if we would not make a state? So there's two solutions. One, make a state which is according to Orthodox Judaism. And there were many, many Orthodox Jews who were pushing for that way before secular Zionism. This is one of the painful realities mm -hmm. that bothers Orthodox Jews so much that way before secular Zionism, there was already a massive movement to make a state in Israel, which was according to Torah Mitzvah. There was a Jew by the name of Don Yosef Nasi, who was the Spanish Jew and an Orthodox Jew. Yes, he kept Torah Mitzvah. He was not maybe the most Haredi, but he kept the basic Torah Mitzvah he kept. And I'm sure he looked a little bit modern and he dressed a little bit modern, but he was a, he was a practical person and a person who dealt with the world. But yet he was a, an Orthodox Jew. He kept the basic Torah Mitzvah and the state he would make was going to be an Orthodox state. And he tried very hard to make it. And unfortunately, the Turkish government was very, very hateful and anti-Semitic, and they didn't cooperate with him. But he tried very hard to make it. Al Terebe and the founders of Chabad, the Middle Rebbe, sent hundreds of families over here. Many of them became friendly with local religious Arab leaders, and they received high positions. One of them was even the mayor, the acting mayor of the city of Hebron, Slonim. He was an enemy called the Middle Rebbe. And the, you know that much of the old city of Hebron, which today is in Arab hands, unfortunately, was actually property that belonged to the Mittler Rebbe. So they tried very hard to make a state according to Tehran Mitzvahs. And they wanted it. The Abar Benel already spoke. Don Yitzchak Abar Benel, he was, not Stamach already, he was a tzaddik, he was a holy Jew. Don Yitzchak Abar Benel wanted very much to make a state over here. And he tried very, very hard to make a state over here. He spoke, well, he tried through writing, not through practical action, but he tried very, very hard to communicate this idea that we should convince the European leaders to cooperate with us and to let us have a state over here. So they, they, were, they tried that. By the way, who undermined every time they tried making a religious state, not in the period of Don Yosef Nasi, but in more current times, 
you know, there was a writer by the name of Dr. Asa, Asa, um, um, yeah, Assad, his name was, Assad, no, no, not Assad, the name will come to me soon, but uh, the name will come to me eventually, Dahan, Dr. Dahan, it sounds like a Moroccan name, but he's actually, he's actually Dutch, he was a Dutch Jewish writer, Dr. Dahan, and he had a whole manifesto, he was a very practical person, he was very, he was very well read and well spoken, he was a great doctor and professor, wrote many books and many articles, he was also well-versed in science and he knew everything and he was able to run an orthodox state. And he wrote a manifesto for how to make an orthodox state. And guess what? He was killed. He was shot. And the, the, the secular Zionists don't even deny that they killed him. Today, it's a known fact that he was killed. Um, he was killed. He was shot to death. Yeah, very, very sad. Yeah, go on Wikipedia. By the way, this can be checked out on Wikipedia. You'll see all the information with, with great detail. Very sad story. The city of the first Moshavah, Petach Tikva, who built it? I might be getting his wrong name. Yechiel something Solomon. I think his name is Yechiel Moshe Solomon, but I could be misquoting his name. But this Rabbi Solomon, who was originally of Polish Jewish descent, he had a long beard. He built, take a look, Rav Solomon, he is the great builder of Petach Tikva, who built Bnei Brak, another one of the early Moshevot. Yitzchak Gerstenkorn, Rabbi Yitzchak Gerstenkorn. So the, many of the early Moshavot were built by Orthodox Jews. I believe his name is Yechiel Moshe Solomon or whatever. In any case, they built they, many, many, many Jews. There was an incredible amount of Jews that came here and built the land. They wanted to build an Orthodox state who undermined them, the secular. And the secular undermined them in very cruel ways because the secular had more connection to money. The secular had an easier time convincing the Gentiles the Gentile nations and the secular, the non-Jews, and the secular also were more skilled at aggressive means, like for example, you know, using weapons at aggressive means of pushing out the Orthodox. And the reality is the Orthodox were, uh, they, they, they were not, they, they just couldn't handle the pressure and the secular ruined it for them. There could have been today a, a Orthodox state here in Israel. Secondly, another option was not to make a state altogether, but rather, just to move to the United States. If, if, if the uh, Orthodox uh, state of Israel would be in existence, you think, um, you think it would be just naturally more balanced in numbers-wise towards Orthodoxy, meaning more Orthodox Jews from America, let's say, if you're comfortable living here, and more secular Jews from Israel would just say, I'm out of here. Like, I can't live with this, even, even this small. Like, I'll tell you personally, like, again, just forget about religion. As much as we're in Corona time right now, right? Um, that's I, right. I was taking a jog, right? Um, you know, and, and I got stopped by a, by a police officer, you know, to a park. And he's like, what, you don't know it's going on time. You can't, you like, you can't be out. I was like, no, 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 I know, obviously, but I'm taking precautions. When I go out, I wear gloves, I wear a mask, I wash, but I gotta, I gotta get out of my house. I gotta do exercise. What do you want me to jump up and down in my, you know, I gotta go to the park and, and slowly but surely things are opening up. But those little, like, and again, this is a highly debated topic in America. But for people that, 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 that liberty and freedom from any entity is very, very important to them and they want to make their own decisions. Um, and again, it's a, it's, it's, it's a growing phenomenon, even though it, it swings, because obviously you have you know, the rise of fascism and then you have you know, the rise of some other interesting, you know, like in America, I would say today it's leftism, but without getting into the, the, the too many details, the secular Jew in Israel, if a state that you were talking about would feel, uh, would, sorry, would, would exist, even the smallest infringement, like do this on Shabbat, he'd be like, I'm out of here. Like, you know, I, I could live in America. I could live in Germany. You know, a lot of Israeli high tech guys moving to Germany. Already you have a big exodus of young Israeli secular people leaving. Do you think more 
would leave if the state would be orthodox? And do you think that would be a good thing? I mean, do you think it would be better that Israel would be more balanced toward orthodoxy and all the secular Jews would basically go and live in America and Germany and it would be more like that? Do you think that would be good for the general culture, the general, you know, bringing up your kids, yeah. whatever it is? And um, do we really want that is basically my question. I understand your question. I'll tell you what. Look, the, the, the story is like this. First of all, yes, definitely a lot of secular would want to leave, but you have to understand something. That's the other point. The Reverend Ashab explained in many, at great lengths, that Jewish people did not have to make a state at the time in order to be protected. There were other means they could have done that. For example, if American Jews would cooperate with the Orthodox, vast or the Argentinian Jews, for example, the Argentinian government would cooperate with the Orthodox. And by the way, there was a Jew by the name of Baron Hirsch. And Baron Hirsch had a vision for settling Jews in Argentina. And he was very successful in saving many Jews' lives because he, he was rich. And he was, by the way, very much leaning towards, towards Orthodoxy and leaning towards Jewish tradition. Although I'm not sure if Baron Hirsch could be qualified as an Orthodox Jew. I'm not sure if he can be qualified. I, I believe he was not Orthodox, but I could be mistaken. But the point is that Baron Hirsch was famous. If you go to Argentina today, he settled hundreds of thousands of Jews over there and saved their lives. There were many other solutions for protecting Jews. The main reason for making a state was not so much to protect Jews, by the way. The main reason for actually it was going to cause a lot of hardship for Jews because they would have to fight with the Arabs. The main right. reason for making a state at the time was in order that there should be a Jewish presence in the Holy Land. Because for Judaism to survive, we have to have a connection to our ancient homeland. Both morally, practically, historically, inspirationally, we cannot have a disconnect from our ancient homeland. No people can be disconnected from the ancient homeland, especially Jewish people, which are rooted in holiness, and holiness is rooted in the Holy Land. We need to be connected to the source of holiness, just like every building has a boiler, which keeps the whole place warm. So too, the world has a boiler, which keeps it all warm, where all the holiness spreads to the whole world, and that's from the Holy Land, and there has to be Jews in the Holy Land. So it was for ideological purposes, more than it was for protection. So all these secular Jews were doing a disgusting thing, because I'm sorry for being so good, so 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 strong about it, but I must say it. And it wasn't all of them. It wasn't all of them. There were many, many secular Jews who were very good with the Orthodox Jews. And when we can mention the names, Menachem Begin is one example, and many other examples. Um, uh, uh, of course, Yitzhak Shamir, and many, many other wonderful early leaders of Zionism, which were in good terms with the Orthodox community and wanted to find a way to work with them. But, but unfortunately, they weren't the majority at the time. At the time, they weren't the majority. They were a dominating force, but not the majority. But the point is that the, the, this is the point, that Orthodox Jews didn't, and they knew good and well, the secular knew good and well, there were other solutions to protect Jews. Not only that, Yalag, Yehuda Leib Gordon, a major father of Zionism, mostly of Hebrew literature, but also of Zionism. But let's talk about a real major father of Zionism, which is equal up there with Theodor Herzl. Theodor Herzl is one founding father of Zionism. And who is the other found, major founding father? Usher Ginsburg, or Achad Am. And Usher Ginsburg is even more powerful than Theodore Theodor Herzl. Theodor you know, Herzl I think that is the best, I just got to stop you. I think that's the best pen name of all time, in my opinion. Echad Am. One of, yeah, the, actually, one of the folk. One of the... Yeah, by the way, by the way it's funny because... It's funny because actually you'll be surprised that it comes from a verse where the, it's used in a negative connotation. 
I wonder if he realized what he was doing, because it says, Kim'at, it speaks over there about Avimelech right. criticizing Yitzchak, and Avimelech says that, he, why didn't you tell me Yitzchak is your, uh, Rivka is your wife? Of course, he didn't say it because he didn't want that they should kill him and try to kidnap her, and, uh, and so that they shouldn't have to commit adultery by living with her, and he was very scared for his, for his life portion, and therefore he didn't say, but Avimelech says, why didn't you tell us, Kim'at shochav achado omas yishtecho? Some scoundrel could have easily lived with her because he, if he thought she wasn't married. Of course, that was a big lie. They would, they would do it anyways. They would try to kill Yitzchak and take her anyways. But in any case, the story, they were very corrupt to push them. But the story is that Achadam is actually not a very good name in the Tanakh. But, and indeed, he was not very, very good for, for, for Yiddishkeit. He was actually quite the opposite for Yiddishkeit, what he accomplished. But Achadam, Usher Ginsburg, is the other major pillar of Zionism. And by the way, he has an advantage over Theodor Herzl for a simple reason, a technical reason. Theodor Herzl wrote in German. Theodor Herzl was a German Jew. His essence was Deutsch. He was a German Jew in his very essence. He was a real Yeke, in simple English, a real, real Yeke, a German Jew. And Achad Am was an Eastern European Jew, and so he spoke Hebrew. The Eastern European Jews, they were the ones who revived modern Hebrew. And Achad Am wrote in the language of the modern state of Israel. He actually helped found, form the language the way it's today. And Achad Am wrote clearly that we see no purpose in making a practical state. We just want to make an ideological state in Israel that should be like an intellectual center for spreading our ideology, anti-orthodoxy, around the world. Yalag went a step further. Yalag, Yudalei Borden wrote, and this is quoted extensively in a very racist book, which leads me to point number three, which I didn't get to, because point number three is so extensive. The racism against Jews who were non, of non-European stock that's a very painful subject, which unfortunately is very, very painful. We'll get to that maybe this time or maybe on a different occasion. But the thing is that Yalag, there's a racist book called Hamapecha Ashkenazi. I'm not going to go down the dirty road with this crazy book, but in any case, he quotes Yalag extensively on this point. Yalag, Yudalei Borden, from the great poets of Zionism, said, Go to America. Who needs a state in Israel? All we're interested in is in our ideologies, our, our leftist ideologies. He was very leftist leaning. And we're very interested in Hebrew literature. But go to America. If you want to save yourself, don't go to Israel. It's, it's, it's really ridiculous to make a state in Israel. So it was an incredible, incredible. So when they undermined, and why? Because they really didn't need a state in Israel. They were just looking to undermine Orthodox Jews. That Orthodox Jews should not be successful in founding a state. And that's what's very, very painful over here. By the way, what I'm telling you is not concerned conspiracy, what I'm telling you is reality. About being practical, indeed, Orthodox Jews sometimes know a little bit less about the world. But first of all, I said clearly, I'm not talking about all, I'm talking about all forms of Orthodoxy, even modern Orthodoxy. Yeah. And there were many, many but generally, modern Rabbi, Orthodox Rabbi, Rabbi, generally the, the, the people of the more modern Orthodox sort of derech, the, 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 their approach, they're not really interested in this uh, halacha state. Most of them, if I'm uh, correct me. Then, then they were. Then, then, then they were. Right. Then back they then were. they were more. But I think now, even today, I think now practically most people see that it's just, I don't know, to me, it just doesn't seem practical at all. And we would, one of the main benefits to me, again, of Israel is that we have this uh, meld, this blend of secular and, and religious. And, you know, there's, there's a dialogue that's going back and forth. You know, you have singers, just, just a random example, singers like Amir Dadon, I don't know his whole background, but. He's Ashkenazi. He doesn't wear a yarmulke, but he, 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 you know, he sings about these deep ideas about about God, about uh, finding a meaning, about searching for 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 this 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 power that's above me. You get that specifically um, with this blend. You don't have it when Orthodoxy takes over. You have it again to me. You ha you have it when things are free, things are open, and things 
especially when all the Jews are together, this type of thing just naturally uh, pops up. And there's also something I just want to quickly point out, uh, the difference between America and Israel and how I see it today. America, again, again, from a religious and even conservative perspective, the founders were just way ahead of their times, definitely uh, ide ideologically, philosophically stronger on a lot of uh, key issues like states' rights and, and, and whatever else than the founders of Israel. Um, which were had a very very communistic bend, which we didn't even talk about, which is a good good reason in and of its own to to go. To, you know, to that's actually that was going to be my that was going to be my next point. I was actually going to jump onto that point right, right immediately after you finish. Yeah, go. I'm sorry. But, go ahead. But go today, ahead. to me, as a person who's lived in America for my young adult life and now for the past year, and I spent another year here in Israel, it seems to me that for all of Israel's faults and shortcomings and the way the bureaucracy has a bit too much control and power and, 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 and all that, the people of Israel as a nation are just, are, they're a lot more of a cohesive unit. Even the craziest secular leftist Jew and the craziest, I'm talking about the two extremes, that's why I'm using the word crazy, and the craziest Haredi, right wing, blah, 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 have a lot more in common and feel a lot more of a, a, a cohesive unit than the people of America do with what's going on over there now. So, and I think it's because we're all Jewish. It's because ultimately there's always a target on our back. Um, and, and by the way, it's supposed to be it's a family. It's a, it feels a lot more of a family over here than it does in America. Um, you know what? I, I'll admit, I, 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 it's getting a bit late. I do want to speak a little bit more and, and maybe we could have more conversations about this. You know, you, you, you're running this beautiful program and may Hashem give you much success. But I, so it, it would be nice if maybe I could be invited. We have to find a time and see if it's practical, both for yourself, of course, and for, sure, for, for myself sure. as well. But maybe on a different occasion, because there's, I, there's a, you know, it's getting a little bit late, late in the hour, as we say. Let's wrap but this I, up. I would like, I, I, I really, really, I, I would just, if you can allow me, just maybe a, a short, a, a one, one more short span of time. Okay. I find it, I, I find it hard to control myself. I think I'm going to throw in the third point because I think the third point will help shed light on the previous two points. I'm a little bit tempted. Okay. Let's face the fact. Today, the state of Israel is a state which, thank God, has no racism. It's a state where, thank God, who, no one cares what background you come from. It doesn't make a difference. People don't even despise. If someone gets up and starts asking which background you're from, people right. want to throw them out of the room. And I'm happy about that. It's the healthiest attitude. It's, it's a great thing. Thank God. We're fed up with that, that old garbage. But once upon a time in the state of Israel, and talk to the people here, for 30 years of this state, until the great revolution of the 80s, for 30 complete years, the state of Israel was controlled by Jews of European descent. What does it mean? We're all, we're all of descent of Jacob, of course. But it means to say that their ancestors lived in Europe for approximately a thousand years. Because about a thousand years ago was when the split between Ashkenazi, Sephardi, and Mizrahi, the three major Jewish groups, right? The Germanic-speaking Jews, the uh, Ladino, the Spanish-speaking Jews, and then the Arabic-speaking Jews. So there were three, three major groups, right? The middle group is almost nothing left of it for some reason. Right. It's interesting why Ladino-speaking Jews, is very few of them. It seems like mostly because many of them assimilated and also because they were, the Spanish Inquisition devastated them tremendously. But the other two groups were very, very big groups. The Germanic-speaking Jews, they spoke Yiddish or German or, different, or Dutch and different variations of German. Um, and so that we call them Ashkenaz, which means Saxon or Germanic Jew 
and then the Mizrahi Jew, which today we call Sephardi, because they possibly like a base but really the proper term is Mizrahi, which means Jew of the East. The truth is that term is also not accurate because you have the Jews in North Africa who are Mugrabi, they're from the West, they're from North Africa, which is to the Western side of Israel, but whatever, we call them Edot HaMizrach because they're from the, or, from the East, the Eastern lands, generally speaking. That's how we refer to the, to the, to the, to the Arabic countries because they're based in the East. And basically, the Jews who were not of European descent were crushed in this country in a disgusting way. Now, it's incredible how when you look at contribution to Judaism, there is equal contribution from both groups. And one group cannot claim the crown more than the other. For example, the Sephardim have the Rambam. <laughs> I don't have to describe why the Rambam is essential to Judaism. If not for the Rambam, you and I would not be here. We wouldn't be Orthodox, right? That's why it doesn't go by a day. We're out at Chabad, where a Chabad Jew doesn't learn Rambam. Rambam is a part of being an Orthodox Jew. He can't move two inches without it, right? He's the source of Amunah. He happened to be a Sephardic Jew, spoke Arabic, right? On the other hand, you have Rashi, who was from northern France and Germany, and he was from the Germanic countries. He was what we call an Ashkenazi. And you have the Ramban, who was a Sephardic Jew, and you have the Rabbi Nutam, who was from northern France, from the Ashkenazi area. And basically, because the northern France were the old descendants from Germany, and they were married with the German communities, they learned in each other's yeshivas, they were considered one community. And then the northern French Jews eventually immigrated to Germany at, at, but during the great expulsion of, of France. But in any case, the point is that you had, you had each Jewish group produced its own gedolim. And then you had the Arizal, who I love the Arizal for, for sides, he's so great, but you know what the Arizal is? He's half-half. The Arizal's father's Ashkenazi, and his mother is Sephardi, which means the Arizal represented the combination of both. No one can claim the Arizal is theirs. The Arizal belongs to all Jewish groups equally. He's a half-half. He's an ultimate combination. The Arizal who gave us the deepest secrets was half Ashkenazi, half Sephardi. It's incredible. And the story is my father Ashkenazi, mother Sephardi. So what happens is Judaism has equal, each group gave equal contribution. All this until the state of Israel was founded. Mitamol, for some reason, you only hear of Theodor Herzl who was a German-speaking Jew of Germanic background, right? Germanic Jewish background. And you only hear of David Ben-Gurion, who was a Polish Jew, a Yiddish-speaking Jew, also a variation of German. And all you hear of is only Jews of European ascent. There was a terrible, terrible, why, why? We, why? we, ne we never had a Sephardi prime minister in Israel, right? That's correct. We never had. And there will be one soon, by the way, because the, there is no... Who has the, I best, who has the best chance right? of now? I don't, you don't well, really the truth is, I guess, Gidon, Gidon, Gidon Saar has a very, very big chance. Gidon Saar is half. He's not fully. But if you're looking for someone who's fully, the one who has the best chance right Are now is Gabi Ashkenazi. I'm sorry, who? Are you there? Nah. Are you, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, because he it, sat yeah. in prison. Any, anyone in Israel that sits in prison, automatically their stock rises <laughs> to, to, to hit Yeah, look, like, uh, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I, I'd rather not talk about Ariadari, not because of his background <laughs> or because of religious. Just as a human being, it doesn't bother me where he comes from or what he does or what he eats or what he sleeps. Ariadari is a person who unfortunately is not a very clean figure. It's, he's equal, just, you have, you have from all say, you have, yeah, you know, you have secular Jews who unfortunately didn't uh, do things properly when it comes to monetary matters, and you have Orthodox Jews who unfortunately right. fell through, and you have a, you had a prime minister here. Let's just say, let's just say, to be Malamed Sos and Ari Dari and all the other ones who, 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 let's just say, quote unquote, messed up monetarily, it's not that hard in Israel, if you really ask people that know the system, it's not that hard to, to get caught, especially the equivalent of the IRS here. I don't know what it's called. I forgot what it's called, but they have su su such a smaller, like, at least it's yeah. like, per capita, it might not be true, meaning the IRS. It's true. It's too aggressive. But they, they, aggressive. they have You're such right. a, they, like, their jobs, they, they can pinpoint you, and if they want to get you, they'll get you. So.
That's unfortunate. I, I, I have nothing to add because you said it so clear. You're right, and, and there's nothing to argue with you. And 100%, I'm sure that in all these cases, both with Arya Deri and with Olmert, who, by the way, is a secular Ashkenazi, he sat in jail just like Arya Deri did, and he was a prime minister. It's even a, it's even a thousand times of a bigger embarrassment. But, but um, of, the, the whole thing with Arya Deri is he's still in politics, like, uh, and he's leading a party. Uh, Olmert's out, right? I guess that's the thing. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what. I understand. He's now under indictment, or I don't know what's up with that, but. I, I understand why Ari Deri is still in politics, and it has to do with what I'm going to say right now. First of all, I want to say I'm not here to criticize the Shas party. There's a lot of wonderful people on the Shas party that do great things. Eli Yishai was my hero for many years. I recently saw him actually live in, in, the, in Haranof. I saw him in Israel in Haranof. It was very interesting to see him. He was my hero for many years. He was a great guy. Many Chabad people voted for him. He actually right. got the biggest amount of Chabad votes, I think, at per, per capita, percentage-wise, in, in history. And he is, of course, one of the great leaders of the Shas party. They kicked they, him out. It's very, 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 very upsetting. And it bothers me that a guy like Eli Yishai, who was an example of what it means, honesty and truth and fighting for causes, the Shams party kicked them out like a dog. Right. And they instead have it's Arya Derry. It hurts me. It's painful. And, and there's so many talented people within the Shams party today that could take over the leadership and revolutionize the party. It's sad. But you know what? I'll tell you why Arya Derry is still there. He's there because of the persecution that was done to them. And thank God they made a documentary where they once and for all came to the, today, today they can't, even if the Ashkenazim want to be Racist, the they can't do it. You're saying the persecution that was done to the Spartan. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, by the way, even if they want, even if they want to do it today, let's take Ashkenazim aside. Ah, we're going to persecute. Not that God forbid Orthodox Jews. It was never persecution amongst the Orthodox Jews because we all have a common Shulchan Aruch. By the secular, there was unfortunately because they don't have a Shulchan Aruch, so they do whatever but, they I want. Mean, with, I, I'll just give you a just a quick story, which should be an anecdote. I mean, it's I'm not going to say yeah persecution uh, within the religious, uh, party, uh, whatever communities also, cause they didn't have as much power as the secular did. But like, I have a, uh, like my uncle lives in Harnof. He was telling me that, uh, I think it's Chavrusa, like has a son and basically he's Chavrusa, completely Sephardi, but they changed their last name so they could fit into the school, uh, to the Ashkenazi dominated school. Um, which is obviously you can't say persecution, but it's a bit ridiculous. Meaning, no, you're right. You're, you're right. You're right. Well, first of all, you're right. And by the way, you, you're right. And you know what? You pointed out something very, very strong. I wasn't trying to shun away from that. I will, I, you know, what you said is 100% correct. There is, unfortunately, racism in the Orthodox community. I will not deny that. But, and that's against Halacha, and every normal rabbi in the world will, has come out against that as much as they could. Rav Steinman came out against it with all of his power, and thank God he's cracking, he cracked through a lot. He put an end to this fiasco. This is disgusting. The Rebbe wrote many letters about it. We have to put an end to this. Why should the Jews who gave us the Rambam and the Rif and the Ramban and the Rashbon, I can tire myself from giving all the, uh, and half of the Arizal, <laughs> the Arizal was a combination of both, so no one could claim him. But the point is, maybe that's why God made it that way, so no side can claim him. He's equal for both. But I'm saying, but the point is that, that why should the people who gave us so many great names, why should they be any less than the Jew comes from Europe? What's, who cares where you come from? What a stupid, sick disgrace that is. But the point is that this is unfortunately, people are selfish in the nature. They like to only care for themselves, and they like to be supremacists. It's a psychopathic problem humans have, and or Jews suffer from it as well, unfortunately, sometimes. Or uh, some might say too many times because us Jews should be, are expected more from, as you said before. But the point is that the rabbis are all crushing this. So this problem exists, but it's not something that was institutionalized. That's the point. It right. was never institutionalized. By the secular, it was institutionalized. We have all the documents. There's a book, there's a documentary. I, I encourage everybody to watch it. It's one of the most best documentaries I think I ever watched in my life. I watched it about 16 times already because it's pushed it done well. It's a documentary which is 
organized. The problem with many documentaries from the History Channel, from National Geographic, they're not organized. They throw in too much information. This is a documentary which doesn't throw in too much information. It's done slowly, and your brain can seep it through. You could be a dummy, and your brain can seep it through. Get, get the information. It can seep into your brain. It's called Salah Poza Edit Israel. Salah Poza Edit Israel four-part documentary, oh, sometimes they have it on three parts, incredible, incredible documentary. They show you the racism and they have the documents. They came to the government and said, you know what, we're putting a stop to this. Give us the, the protocols. As people would speak in the secret meetings, they, somebody would type. They would ask someone to type, to type everything that Ben Gurion said, everything that all these people said. I don't want to quote to you what you'll see there. Think of the Germans and Hitler with the stuff they said about Jews. That's exactly the stuff that they say about Jews. I think I saw something someone was doing, uh, maybe like confusing this with something else, but someone was like going around and asking, like basically reading quotes from uh, Herzog and saying, who do you think wrote this? And people were like, Hitler. That's, Hitler. that's, only, part, that's only part of it. That's, that's the documentary I mentioned before, Herzog about Sionut. That's the documentary yeah, I mentioned before. But, but this, is a, this, is a, this is an even much more detailed documentary. They read through the protocols and you want to cry. Right. I've read point, some of the stuff and I've, I've seen that too. Um, I, I see what you're saying. Uh, I think we have to have a whole nother. No, I, 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 I want to add one more point. I'm sorry. Okay, for no, this wasn't all the fathers of Zionism. That's the point. That's also the painful thing. This was only half of Zionism. Right. There was two parts of Zionism. There was the leftist Zionism and there was the right-wing Zionism. The right-wing Zionism has extensive Sephardic participation. There were many, think of Gula Cohen, a woman that was a war hero. Why is she not a standard name in every Israeli textbook? Well, she obviously didn't join Ben-Gurion. She fought for the Lehi. Who was the Lehi? Moshe Shamir. Yitzhak Shamir was the Lehi. Do you know the Lehi had a very, very high percentage of Sephardic warriors who are major heroes of the Lehi. But of course, if you take a look, the Lehi will be labeled as a terrorist organization. Even on English Wikipedia, many consider it terrorist terrorists. Why? Because they weren't nice, Thai, chuk-chick-wearing, you know, fancy-looking European. <laughs> That's right. why, because they didn't try to impress everybody. So yeah, there's many Sephardim in the founding of the state of Israel. The, pro the thing is, they just, none of them worked for Ben-Gurion. Ben-Gurion decided, so, and guess what? Gula Cohen was pro-Orthodox. <laughs> Doesn't it go together? That's what I'm trying to say. It's only half of Zionism. And the problem is that there's so many more leaders of Zionism we should be learning about. Even in the secular, you know, it's incredible. Why don't people know? Oh, except for Ellie Cohen. Ellie Cohen, they know because they can't escape him. He's the greatest spy in Israeli history, so they have no choice. You know, they're forced to, men to mention him. But why don't people know, for example, about... Uh, major, major, major figures, for example, like, uh, like, Yehuda, like uh, Yehuda Bivas, who was a major, or, or, or Rabbi, El, Rabbi El Kali, or El Kalai, who was a major force in the, in the founding of the state of Israel, a major source of inspiration, and a great philosopher, because he just spoke on the orthodox level. There was, I'll finish with this, there was a certain, if you want to get a clear picture, I'll finish with two things, and, and then I'll hear your point, and we'll conclude with that tonight, and if we're able to get more, if, you, if you're able, I would love to maybe come on again. Yeah, I'd love um, to come on again. But I'll finish with two points. Uh, one, one, there is a documentary, the first documentary ever made in history about the, his, the founding of the state of Israel. It's called Amud Ha'esh, Pillar of Fire. You have it in English as well. Ironically, the narrator of the documentary is a Sephardic Jew. Believe it or not, he's actually a Sephardic Jew. His name is Banai. And uh, he is a great Ehud Banai. He's a great, great, great narrator. And he narrates the video. Ironically, they used, the, they used him because he was a great narrator. But the, the one who wrote 
the whole documentary wrote it and structured it was a guy by the name of Yigal Lusin, uh, of Russian Jewish descent, i.e. an Ashkenazi of European Jewish descent, yeah? <laughs> Guess what? There's no Sephardim there. It was a big chutzpah. When it came out, all the Sephardic Jews were very, very angry. So they came to him and they said, what's going on over here? You can't do this. You're writing, you're, you're pushing falsifying history. Are you crazy? So this is what he answered. He said, I own, he said this, by the way, in court as well. He said this many times because they took it to court. They, of course, lost because this was during the period when the state of Israel was within the first 30 years and it was still racist. Today, it's not racist at all, by the way. Thank God. It's all gone. It's all in the past. But the point is that he said a very interesting answer, which I think sheds light on the whole conversation. He said, I only quoted secular. Take a look. I didn't bring orthodox either. There's no orthodox Ashkenazim in there. You know why? Because to me, Zionism is a purely secular movement. And anything that has to do with Mashiach must, be not, must not be mentioned. Aliyah Mashiachit eno aliyah And he said, anything that has to do with, with Messiah must be rooted out. Right. I think that speaks for itself. The second so, point is... Okay. The second, uh, the second thing is that there was a, a guy by the name of Amir Chetzroni, also, I believe, of Russian or Polish-Jewish descent, or probably both, a mushmash. He, today, barely lives in Israel. He's a whack person. He's crazy. He's friendly with an Arab, but he hates Sephardic Jews, but he loves, he's friendly with an Arab girlfriend because he wants to show that he should make peace and give away the land to the Arabs. The man is never insane. Amir Khatsrani was interviewed in public and he said, I couldn't care. It's, you can see the interview, it's all over the internet. And so it's been duplicated tons of times. He said, I mean, copied over tons of times on different websites. It's the same video. He says to a, a Jewish woman of Moroccan heritage, he says, Moroccan Jewish heritage, I couldn't care less if your parents would rot in Morocco. Do you know what we wanted to make here in Israel? We wanted to make Germany for people who speak Hebrew. And you have no place here. We wanted a secular country. And then he admits that he lost. And he says, we're losing. And the country is going to be time. yours. Yes. We were culturally, losing like, culturally you, you, you know, the biggest influence in Israel, you'd have to say, I think, is... is, 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 is the, yeah, you say, Jews. Is the Sephardic like, Jews. Like, in recent years, I remember we spoke about this back in La Paz, the music, the... In the music, and in, in food, and everything, and everything, and every aspect. And I, and I have no... I, 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 very good, Baruch Hashem, that people right. can express themselves and they have a lot to give. It's about time people see another side of history. They don't only have to see Europe, but Europe is such a wonderful place that only Europe is allowed to speak. Europe is a beautiful continent, such nice, warm, warm, kind people, right? And let's take a look what happened 70 years ago, right? right. Wonderful, warm, sweet people, so all peaches and cream. But the point is that, that, no, thank God, thank God, they're very talented, they have good voices, they make good food, they have, they have a great focus on music and on self-expression, which is a healthy thing. They express themselves, they don't like to crush and tie people's necks. And like, as seen so much in, 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 in European culture, but the point is that people don't, are not allowed to express themselves freely. But here's the thing, he admitted, to her that he's losing. And he said, you right. stole my country. I and this has got my country, I don't want to get into it, but right. he, he, total lies. But he said, you stole my country from me. And that's why I hate you. And he said, he didn't say the word that, that I added. The last two words I, I, I added, I he didn't say that's why I hate you, but he said, you stole my country from me. And we, and you, and I, I wouldn't, couldn't if you, I'm just, I'm quoting Brandon, if they would rot in Morocco, he left Israel. He's now living in Turkey. He wanted to make a point that he's going to go to Turkey. He's not interested in Israel anymore. He says, we lost Israel. Let him get out of here. I don't need him here. I mean, I, I, I don't, I, get, gotcha. I hope he does. Hey, let me, let me, let, okay. me ask, let me ask you, um, you mentioned Mashiach, so that actually ties in very 
nicely into the next thing I want to bring up. When I posted originally that I'm going to be doing this podcast, a friend of mine sent me a quick, like a four minute recording by Isaiah Goffney. I'm sure you know of him. Um, so first of all, I want to get your take after the question and just what's, what, what's your view on Isaiah Goffney? Um, is he a, a valid source from a religious perspective on, on Jewish history, on, 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 you know, Israeli history from the, from the from Zion, you know, Zionism versus, uh, or secular Zionism versus religious Zionism. And basically what Isaiah Goffney says in this uh, recording, something very interesting. He says that, um, ever since the Rambam, Mashiach stopped becoming a political idea. It became like basically a spiritual idea. And uh, then you had Shab Tzvi, and because of a lot of failed messianisms, basically, a lot of religious uh, communities, especially the ultra-Orthodox, viewed Israel as this potential failed messiah type of thing, where, oh, we're going, and they said, no, that shows a lack of faith. We have to just sit and wait for Messiah. There's nothing we can do to hasten uh, a, a Mashiach for Messiah coming. Um, and that struck me, that struck me, uh, like, it's very interesting. It's very, it's very from, painful from and correct. From a Chabad perspective, we know, I mean, at least the, the Chabad that we know, that's not true. Meaning uh, the whole idea of Chabad is to try to bring Mashiach with the you know, shlichus and, and getting people to put on tefillin and getting people to do more, 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 uh, you know, good deeds. Um, so how would those two be reconciled? Meaning the fact that most religious people, uh, at least according to him, uh, were against the state because of, uh, you know, a, a failed Messiah type of notion that we can't do anything with a lack of faith versus like the, the, the day-to-day belief of uh, Chabad. Look, I, I'll finish with this because after this I must go and we can continue this discussion at a different time on this beautiful show of yours. But basically, um, I don't know who Isaiah Gaffney is. I have no idea. And now that I hear with the terrible things he's saying, I'm shocked that either he, mis- oh, either he, he misunderstood what he was reading. I, I, forget, I'm not even going to discuss it. He's totally, totally wrong. Totally, totally wrong. About what? About what? About, about the statement. It's not true ever since the Rambam the Rambam made Mashiach a more practical thing than anything. You know what the Rambam defines Mashiach as? Maybe it could Found be I'm misquoting. Could be I'm misquoting. Uh, uh, no, I, no, I, no, I, no. But the, I think his main point was he was bringing up the 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 issues that religious communities had with Israel, which I've heard this before, not from him. Meaning that that it's not up to us to bring Mashiach and to go to the land. That, 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 that's that's that's. That's not correct. That's not correct. Religious Jews were very, very into bringing into settling Israel, but they said that we have to first settle Israel, and then eventually God will send His Spirit and bring Mashiach in this world. Now, we cannot bring Mashiach, but we do have to prepare the ground for Mashiach. That is what the Orthodox Jewish belief has always been and will always be. Right, but I'm saying, Rabbi, some some religious some some religious groups were even against that, right? That's Satmer. I mentioned that, but they were a minority. They were a total minority. It's a big, big mistake to think that the Orthodox Jews were against. Not only that, the Rambam says clearly, Mashiach is a totally practical thing. You know what Mashiach means according to the Rambam? An Orthodox state in Israel. But, the, and the Rambam believes that it can come, we can nominate a person, we can, uh, uh, the, the Rambam, oh, one second. But the Rambam says the person has to have special qualities. And until you don't, and he lists four qualities, we won't get into it now, but if you don't, many of them are, include spiritual powers. If you do not have those four qualities, you cannot be Mashiach. But the Rambam says clearly Mashiach is a physical thing, and it means a physical state in Israel. And it means to say that we're going to have a religious state, precisely what the secular were trying so hard to avoid. That is what Mashiach means, a religious state. Orthodox Jews said you cannot nominate someone as Mashiach, unless, of course, we have a candidate that has all these qualities. But so far, we haven't had that. And therefore, Orthodox Jews said that we will not nominate someone as Mashiach. That's against halacha. We have to wait till God sends us that candidate. But, but 
Orthodox Jews simultaneously believed that it is a biblical commandment to live in a state of Israel, or even if you don't want to say it's biblical, it's a great mitzvah to live in a state of Israel, and that we can hasten the coming of Mashiach by settling the land of Israel. Because at the end of the day, being Mashiach is a practical thing above everything else. And it means so, physical dynamics. So the Groh, the the so. by the way, the Groh, in, in many, and in many books, look in the book Koil Hatoyer from Rabbi Rivlin and many other books, the Groh sent influenced many, many of his students, almost the, half of the city of Shklov, half of the rabbis of the city of Shklov in Belarus, which was an extension of Lithuania. Half of the rabbis of, of that city, the great rabbis, moved to Israel and founded communities here because they wanted to hasten the coming of Mashiach as a practical thing. And I'm very surprised at what he said. It's just historically not right. And it also doesn't agree with the fact that B'nai Brak and Petach Tikva, which is the first Moshav in Israel, was built by Orthodox Jews with long beards. No, I don't think he's saying that, that uh, either way, whatever. I don't want to get into what he's saying or not because it was just a quick, a quick uh, recording that got me to think. But so basically what you're saying, I just want to get this clear. Besides for Satmer and those extreme, what you're saying that are not the mainstream view of Orthodox Judaism, most of Orthodox Judaism, including Chabad and other ones, their main problem with Zionism was the fact that it wasn't going to be found, I mean, in the state of Israel, was it wasn't going to be founded on, on the... Uh, Torah mitzvahs, and uh, yeah, and and there was also another problem which I didn't mention. I, I can't get into that now. Really, it would be impossible. I'll just say the two words, and I you'll have to forgive me for not explaining the problem of believing of Aschalta de Geula, of believing that the Mashiach that were already in the actual experience of Mashiach, which is wrong, and also the I third think problem. Just ties into what he was speaking about with, with yeah, and then the third issue which I didn't want to talk about, but I just ended up ended up like bringing it right up all the way was the persecution of the Jews of non-European descent and, yeah. uh, and, and, and the terrible, along with that, the terrible anti-religious rhetoric, which went hand in hand with each other. And uh, that was also a painful thing, which the Rebbe screamed so much about. There's letters after letters after letters after letters. They're all printed. They've all, many of them have been collected in Toldus Chabad, Yahadut Morocco. Beautiful letters where the Rebbe screams and it's so painful and, and people just didn't listen. They wouldn't listen. The secular leaders here, they wouldn't listen. Look, I'll have to stop here. I, I really want to continue. Right, can I get I your take on one last story that just happened a couple okay. of days ago? One, one, one. One last point. Sure, so, sure, I don't know sure. if you heard this in the news, but quickly, Sochani Lipschitz, I, I'm pretty sure that's her name, the, the husband of Chesky Lipschitz, the husband. Yeah, 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 that's right. That's right. Uh, Rabbitson, yeah, Rabbi Rabbitson, Shlia Shlucha in, uh, in Kathmandu over there in Nepal. Uh, so she was nominated to light the flare, I think that's what it was. for, for That's Yom right. And she accepted originally, and then Chabad, the establishment of Chabad, like, I don't know exactly who, but told her, you, you have to back out. What's your take on that story? Uh, do you think it's the right move, like politically, so to speak, for, for, for the establishment of Chabad to do that? Because then it gets in the news. And then, meaning, we just had this whole long conversation. I'm still confused, you know? I remember hearing from Rabbi Vechter, who's my teacher, and he, he gave a whole hour talk on Zionism and trying to balance out. And he was still like, listen, I can't really give you a good answer. Are we pro? Are we get it's not, it's not so simple, obviously. Um, so do you think it's the smartest thing to put this all in the light, basically? And, you, and there's no way you could explain this in the media. And the media just does what the media does. And then Chabad has this, you know, the name of all that are lumped in with the, you know, crazy anti-Zionist uh, Satmer and the Torah guys, let's just say, for example. Uh, yeah, so just to get your take on that story. So for, first, first of all, by the way, it, it, two things. Number one, uh, by the way, it's actually very simple. I'm surprised Rory Vechter would tell you that. I'll tell you the honest truth. And, and I, I don't doubt 
the truth of your story. They told you that it's a big mistake on this point. Uh, I would love to talk to him because this, my sources are in the Rebbe's words himself. In other words, one of the beautiful things about this is that the Rebbe... Yeah, but Rabbi, it's, it, it's, def it's hard to explain. I think what he was trying to say is hard to explain to your everyday Israeli where exactly we Oh, stand. that I agree with you because, I, because every, not, not just everyday Israeli. That's what I'm everyday saying. So that, that, in, when it comes to the story, the story becomes public and it's like, okay, where do you it's stand? You grow, you live here. Okay, okay, so I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you. First of all, um, thank God. In, do you know that the vast majority of media outlets supported Chabad? First of all, I'll soon tell you the big mistake that happened here. But do you know that the vast majority of, of outlets supported Chabad? And I'll tell you one of the things, they said three points. They said, how can you say Chabad is against Israel? Chabad, Chabad hosts Israeli ministers all over, and Bati Chabad all around the world. My, my cousin, Sandy Gezinski, the Ron Dermer is his, is his guest at his Chabad. He eats by his Shabbos table the whole time. They love and, they, and they, they, they're at every Israeli parade. They're there supporting wow. How can you say, not, not just that, how can you say the Rebbe himself was so involved with Israel? Menachem Begin came to see him. How can he be anti zionist Second of all, they're all serving in Sal. Do you know how many Chabad boys are serving in combat units? Yeah, a Someone lot. made a list. Especially from America. And it's getting more, and, and, and it's getting, exactly, and it's getting more and more every year. Do you know the number is actually going up? Chabad people are flocking to the army, flocking to the army, and they're getting more and more and more and more Chabad people in the army. So it's disgusting. Many soldiers wrote, I serve in units with Chabad. We had a friend, Zevi Lipsky, that served in, a, in, 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 in the army. And, and yes, yeah, so the point is, that we have a friend, he's about to get married. The, the, well, it's so most of the outlets actually came out against all this bashing of Chabad. It was only the, the leftists, by the way, who criticized Chabad. First of all, second of all, yes, there was a big mistake made on the part of, of Chabad. And I'm sorry to say this, it wasn't on the part of Chabad, it was on the part of Mrs. Lifshitz. And she's a wonderful woman. I have yet to even get a little bit of the great schusim that she did. She, the woman has saved so many Jews in Kathmandu. She's a real hero. And that's why she's been honored in public in Chabad so, time and time again. She's one of the most honored shluchim, and rightfully so. And I will continue to honor her because how special she is, what she has done. And she's a, a, a Jewish heroine. Her, heroine, I mean like female for hero, not heroine, the drug, God forbid. But she's a, a, a real, real hero. But she made a mistake, in my opinion, and in many people's opinion, because of public relations. It was a PR mistake. She didn't have to go public. When they offered her the job, the, the, the honor, what, what's the reason why Chabad said no? Because you're not allowed to perform at a mixed event. You're not allowed to come to an event which officially is breaking halacha. They're singing music in the middle that of was, anyway. wait, so That was the issue. I, wasn't, I just saw the headline and sort of assumed that the reason why they no, said... No, uh, the issue was halacha. You're not allowed to be in a mixed place. It wasn't anything to do with Zionism and Yom mode, really? No, no, no. Nothing to do with Zionism. It had to do with the... It ha no, one second. It had to do also... Oh, it had to do with Yom mode. Also, the way Yom mode is celebrated. In other words, if they would honor her on Yom Yerushalayim, just a couple of days later, the day of Jerusalem, they would honor her to light something at the Kaisel, and it would be in a non-mixed event. She would come. And the proof is in the pudding. It's been done in the past when they've honored Chabad people in public forums that were not mixed and not on Yom Atzimut, but other days connected to the state of Israel. The Chabad ran there and brought people there. The issue is the Yom Atzimut represents secular Zionism. So what is Yom Atzimut? I'm not going to shy away from that. And it's mixed. It's a mixed event with singer with not not done according to halacha, and it's breaking the laws of Sfirah Soimer. It's breaking the laws of Sfirah because you're not allowed to make such things during Sfirah. There's rules in Judaism. You can't make such things in the middle of Sfirah Soimer. How can you tread upon Shulchan Aruch says you're not allowed to make big parties and big events in Sfirah Soimer with music? It's terrible, terrible. So that's why she didn't come. But she could have done it quietly. That was her mistake. And again, I'm not 
God forbid doubting the, the great hero that she is. I'm saying, and she is, I'm just saying that she made a mistake in public relations and I'm sure she won't make it again. We're all human, we're allowed to make a mistake. She made a mistake, in my opinion, and in many people's opinion, in public relations that she did not have to go public. She, I don't know, I think it only became public because she accepted and then had to pull back. And then that's the thing, yeah, exactly, exactly. But, she, but she accepted that, you're right, no, you're right, but that's the thing, she shouldn't have let it go to that. She should have immediately asked the rabbis before she accepted. Had she, had she not accepted, or, or had she accept, had she had she first gone to the rabbis and then not accepted quietly, no one would know about it. But she made a mistake. She accepted it too quickly. It was a mistake, and it's never going to be done again. And thank God the Chabad rabbis are very, very quick. And by the way, I'd like to speak about someone named Rabbi Steinsaltz, who's considered a national hero here in Israel, and speaks on all Zionist forums. You know what? You know what? I'll tell you the secret about him. I guess my cousin just, my 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 brother-in-law just sent me uh, the article. He also didn't show up at a Yom Ha'atzmaut event, at, a Zion, at an event that has to do with secular Zionism. Despite the fact that he speaks on all, on all Zionist forums, and he's the one screaming for the state of Israel, and, he, and he's, the biggest, he's a major teacher for the Rabbi Cook followers. They all love him. Rabbi Steinsaltz, Rabbi Steinsaltz, he's, considered, he's loved by secular and orthodox alike. He's a hero here in Israel. He also didn't show up to such an event. Why? Not because he hates Israel, but because... These, the, you can, as an Orthodox Jew, you cannot take part in something which is totally secular. Yom Ha'atzmaut represents Theodor Herzl's German Israel, Germany for Hebrew-speaking people. I love how Amir Chetzroni defined it. He couldn't have defined it better. I, so I'm like, sorry? I was going to ask a different question, but let's just put it this way. What would it take for Chabad or, or general Orthodoxy to to sort of reclaim the day even, or reclaim the flag and to like, what would have to happen for, for Orthodox Jews to accept the flag and to completely, you know, buy into to, to, to full Zionism, let's just put it that way, and, and to show up to these events. Let's say, obviously, they weren't mixed. That's, that's, besides for all those halakhic issues, strict Zionism, what would it take for Yamat Smotin? Ideologically, you're asking ideologically. Technically, you understand. Technically, you understand that they would have to be changed from Sfirah Sa'imra to a different day. Okay, you would have to do it in the in Sivan, okay? You would have to pick a different day, fine. So the, the technical, you're saying, you understand? You're saying the ideological. Two things. One, you would have to immediately, immediately, um, Zionism would have to immediately renounce all the terrible persecutions, the selling of the Yemenite children into slavery, and the persecution of the Sephardim, and all the cruel things that were done would have to be renounced immediately in public. Yeah, and all true. those, no, no, not just that. No, even there that starting to sound yeah, like all, some things that are happening in America, like some people that want to celebrate Fourth of July because of slavery or whatever. We won't get into that, but it's starting to sound like that a little. But I understand. Yeah, yeah, but, but, not, but, not, but not exactly. Not exactly, because we're not saying that the, all the founders were bad. We're saying specific founders are going to have to once and for okay. all stop being honored. And not all the founders, but not at all. There's many, many secular founders that are going to be there. As a matter of fact, there'll probably be more secular founders that are going to be there, but we're going to put in a lot of Sephardic founders. We're going to start, the whole thing is going to be restructured. Names are going to go flying. We're, and by the way, there's many Sephardim that want to do it already today. There's a whole organization. I'm not joking. They want to do it, and they're right. They're right. I would back them 100% because something has to be done. We can't cover up history. This, this terrible crimes that was done has to come to an end. That's I'm fair. sorry. We, can, we, we, okay. we cannot. By the, way, by the way, there'll be many guys that will be up there. Jabotinsky could be up there, I believe. I believe he should be able to be up there. I believe that ben, um, Begin should be able to be up there. Gula Cohen should be up there. And many, Ellie Cohen, Ellie Cohen. Some people have to be up there with an asterisk, meaning you can't discount what they did for the state of Israel and the blood and sweat. And okay. They were okay, no problem, but, but acknowledge them. 
but 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 fine. But the, the mistakes have to be acknowledged. But but publicly, the government has to okay. apologize. By the way, you know yourself; they're never going to do that until there's a major change in the demographics, and it will happen. The apology will come when the demographics change. But it's going to—that's first of all. First things first, and they're going to have to change the anthem, put in God's name, and they're going to have to acknowledge that the state of Israel is a is a state which is connected to Torah. As soon as that's done, connected. I'm telling you now. If they huh? just acknowledge that it's connected, but all the laws, for the most part, stay the same, would 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 that be would that be enough? I don't I don't think so. I, th I I'll tell you what. You know when it's going to be good? When you know when it's going to be good? I'll tell you when it's going to be good. When it's going to be good is very very simple. When once and for all there is all the practical halacha is kept, then you know the ideology is also good. Because let me tell you something. As soon as the halacha starts being kept, the apologies for all the crimes against the Yemenites will come. They're going to stop covering. You know, it's, it's illegal today in, in, the United, in Israel to, to uh, officially, to, it's illegal to like publish, uh, not illegal, but it's, it's not, the government refuses to cooperate to give where the Yemenite children were sold to. There is a whole stack of papers sitting. Could you, I, I, I don't know if you realize, there was a massive stack of papers sitting right now in the government's cabinets where they know every single Yemenite kid where he was sold to. They don't want to open it. They will never open because that will ruin their European Germanic version of Zionism that they created, which is full of garbage. And thank God it's falling apart. Let me tell you something right now. When thing is true, Rabbi, there's so many founders, there's so many, you know, there's so much, so much, so much good part, but it's so much, so much good, sorry, to the, to the founders of Zionism that we don't know about. Why don't we just, you know, why don't we just go there ourselves? Why do we need the government? Just reclaim the flag, you know, someone asks you, are you a Zionist? It's not going to work that way because it's going to immediately get mixed up. It's going to get mixed up. First of all, I want to explain something. Especially when, in a way, like the Israeli flag already has so many negative connotations outside of the state of Israel with, you know, because of all the negative PR that we get. You know, my cousin Ami Horowitz, Ami on the street, did a clip on Berkeley or UCLA, one of these liberal, excuse me, campuses on in California, and he holds up an ISIS flag and an Israeli flag in different times. And Israeli flag, he gets so much negative, like criticism. People spit at it, and how dare you, apartheid. ISIS flag, he gets nothing. In fact, sometimes he gets even, you know, people like, oh wow, amazing, you're you're standing up for what you believe in. So with that all being said, we don't live in a bubble in the sense of like, yeah, we we have all this orthodoxy going back and forth and. History, but at the same time, we have to show a united front. So if, if, if the, the, the Israeli flag is not a problem, the Israeli flag is not. The flag is just one of the many things. When you have no, 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 the Israeli flag is a no-brainer because that's really doesn't Chabad really couldn't kill us. Chabad is not going to adapt the Israeli flag themselves, but they don't, they really couldn't okay. kill us. But Ramosha, Chabad right. takes the approach of Ramosha Feinstein. Ramosha Feinstein, great Pesach, not Chabad by the way, but a great Pesach. Chabad of course respects him. Um, Ramosha Feinstein said that on Israeli flag we shouldn't actively have it, but once it's there, you're not allowed to take it down. You can cause hatred for Jews. We're not going to Israeli flag. Was not is not the issue. Trust me, a Chabad guy that couldn't. So why why wouldn't you actively have it? What's the reason to not actively have an Israeli flag? It goes back to what I said before. It's getting a delay. I can't get all the details, but it's 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 basically what I said before. And and there's a lot of pain involved in the Israeli flag. If you think about the hatred to religion that's behind it, and the and the the whole the whole the people who who designed this flag, Herzl himself was was one of the designers. One of the major stresses was that this is the new Judaism and this is the new flag and the old is gone. And you have to, the, he said, the, you, the Jew, they said the Jews of Europe, referring to the Orthodox Jewish communities, are dust and ashes. That's what uh, 
uh, Weizmann, Chaim Weizmann said, and we will build upon them terrible, terrible expressions. I, right. Very, 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 I don't want to, it's, it's, it's too scary to say, but let me tell you something, the flag is not the issue, trust me, if a Shlia right. has a couple of flags, I don't care, I have to give me 50,000 Israeli flags, if it makes people happy, I'm not going to put it on my Chabad shul, but if it makes you happy, and it makes peace over here between the Jews, I'll put up the flags, it's okay. The Chabad doesn't care, the flag is not the, trust me, that's, that's totally not the issue. Right. The main issue, that completely not, by the way, completely, completely not, the issue is the, the anthem has to be immediately changed to a new anthem, the um, the author of the anthem converted to Christianity. I mean, why don't people talk about that? It's too painful. Oh. Okay. The, the, the anthem has to be changed. The crimes of the Yemen, against the Yemenite Jews must be acknowledged on Yom HaTzmok in public. But we beg forgiveness for the terrible crimes that were committed by Ben-Gurion and the terrible crimes that were committed by Yosef Tal, Giora Yosef Tal, and the terrible crimes that were committed by all these people, the persecution of the, of the Sephardic Jews and the shooting of a Moroccan Jew that demonstrated for his rights in cold blood. And uh, we, we demonstrate against these things and we, we thank God that we don't have it anymore. And we're going to now honor the fun founders of Zionism who were loving people and there are many, many, thank God, many, many wonderful founders of Zionism, even secular, of course. And we're going to start and we're going to read verses of the Bible instead of verses from Matan Alterman or Yehuda Leib Gordon. We're going to read instead verses from the Bible, like we should be reading verses from the Bible. And we're going to say, and we're not going to do it in Sfirah Sa'imer. I mean, there's a lot of things that have to go through change, but let, don't worry about it. It's not going to happen in one day. The change will come. It's already starting. The day will come when all these things will be changed. And then, indeed, we will be there singing the anthem, jumping up and down. And even today, when we don't have everything we want in this regard, unfortunately, we still have to support Israel. We should come to the events in a kosher way. We should come to their Israel Day Parade, which, of course, Chabad comes to the Israel Day Parade to put on film with people and everything. We should also, only in a kosher way, depends where you have to know where to stand. We should come to public forums and defend Israel. If you're in a community which has Israeli flags or you feel Israeli flags will strengthen their Judaism, you must bring Israeli flags. You have to make sure to make, bring Ava and support the state up to a point where you're going to give up on your kronot, where you're going to give up on your principles. And that's what uh, Orthodox Judaism is doing today more and more. And uh, that's, uh, that's the direction we take. Look, there's nothing we could do. We, we, these crimes against the Yemenite Jews have been done. We can't bring it back. These terrible crimes have been done. I can go down a long road and give you all the names of people that were shot and killed. This was a bloody story. This wasn't the push the knife. Basics. Let me just say that Steven Spielberg was approached. I think he did the right move. Steven Spielberg was approached to make a movie about it. He said he doesn't want to do it because Israel has so much bad PR already. All right. you need is a story to come out. And one of the sons, he did the right thing, of course. He did the right thing. Yeah, that's interesting. But, wow. but, Especially because of the person, you know. The yeah, black, I, the look, by the way, nothing I'm telling you is exaggerated. That's the sad thing. Oh, I no, wish no. it was. It's all facts. It's cold, hard facts. They have the information. They have the data. They have the names. But I just want everything. to say something. I just want to compare. Let's, fin let's finish with this guy. I really, I must go. If you, okay. Let's finish with this point you're going to say, okay? Okay. So go ahead. In terms of, obviously, like we've seen, I still think it's, a, it's still a very complicated uh, topic because, again, first of all, it's going back into history and it's, it's, did they do this, did they not, and whatever else comes along with that. Um, comparing the Israeli flag and the Israeli, like, just the, the, the state of Israel and the, the philosophy behind it to America, obviously, again, from a conservative perspective, uh, America, the founding fathers were a lot more on point. The, the Israelis, the Israeli founding fathers had a lot of communistic ideas and it took Israel a long time to get over that. And we're still not there yet. Uh, you know, just taxes. But the, ra the racism part is gone. The racism part, though, is gone. The racism part, though, is gone. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, the, racism yeah. gone. the same way that in America, a lot of people want to, 
today tear down all the founding fathers just because they lived in a time that they had slaves or, or some of them actually had slaves um, and, you know, want to disrespect the flag. I think a similar thing could be said for Israel, where we, at a certain point, you have to start just looking at at least the good that Israel has done that, that's undeniable. Jews living together, uh, the best place to bring up, even, or, you know, you're, you have a lot better chance of your kids uh, staying Orthodox in Israel, or at least marrying Jewish, you know, even from a secular perspective, all these things that really can't happen out of the state of Israel, a lot easier to keep kosher, all these things that even for Orthodox Jew, you have to acknowledge that Israel just provides on a practical level, at a certain point, you could say, okay, we're going to bring up all these issues, the same way you could bring up the issue of slavery, you could bring up the issue of racism in America's past, but you still have to credit the founding fathers, you still have to credit the flag and everything else that goes along with it, um, and you could ask for changes, but before then, to at least acknowledge the basics of what was done and not live in complete, and I'm not saying that Chabad is doing this, but certain, you know, uh, sects that are anti-Zionist that live here, you know, live in complete denial um, of, of the good and the, and that even the worst founding fathers gave to them, that the fact that you could live here in the state, uh, you at least have to give them some credit. Uh, so you could, you, could, you know, you could- it, would you mind, Do you mind if I, if I act selfish and I take the last words? Go for it. I'm gonna take the last word, I'm gonna finish with one statement. I think this will suffice for now. Anyone who burns an Israeli flag, even in private, if he's caught doing it, anyone, okay, private, maybe a fine will suffice, but anyone who, who burns the Israeli flag in even the smallest public setting, anyone who dares to publicly say this state should be destroyed, let me tell, let me tell you two words, three words, belongs in prison. And I say that as a fact as a fact, and I couldn't have made myself more clear. And let me tell you something, this is the opinion of any normal Orthodox Jew. Right. And this has not, and, 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 and let me make it very, very clear. And I agree with you, we do have to acknowledge the great things that the State of Israel has brought. And that's why I look at it as a positive thing. The State of Israel is a great thing. And we're, we're, we're gonna be there. It's good Chabad is going to the army to support. It's, and more and more are coming. Of course, not in the yeshiva age, we're past the yeshiva age, they're coming. It's a great thing. It's a great thing that more and more Orthodox Jews are going into high tech and getting positions in the government. Already we had a police commissioner who was an Orthodox Jew, Ronnie Al-Sheikh. It was incredible. He was a great police commissioner. Of course, the secular like to bash him. Take a look. Go Ronnie Al-Sheikh. Look at all the disgusting things they say about Ronnie Al-Sheikh. He's both Sephardic and Orthodox. Ooh, they love yes, him. Ooh. The Rebbe, was that him or was that someone else? No, that was somebody else. But Ronnie Al-Sheikh was a great police commissioner, but he was Orthodox and Sephardic. Of course, the, the leftists, they, they have a field day with him. Every stupid thing he did, they bothered him. But the point is that uh, they made him crazy. If, if he ate breakfast an hour late, they made him crazy, but whatever. <laughs> it's disgusting. But the point is that Ronnie Al-Sheikh, we already had an Orthodox. Think about it. We had an Orthodox police commissioner in this country. I mean, that's a major thing. So we're moving. We're moving closer and closer and closer. It's getting there. You see, you see it's happening. It's happening. Don't worry, Chesky. It's going to happen. The state will be once, one day, we are going to be able to come to the public Yom Ha'atzmaut, which is going to be not on the middle of Sfirah Sa'imer. It's going to be a different date, probably before, around Pesach time or something like that, whatever. Maybe Rosh Hashanah time, they're going to make a nice day, a day where Orthodox Jews and Jews, Orthodox Jews will flock from all over the world. And if there's some crazy Satmar guy, not all Satmar crazy, but if you have some crazy guys from Satmar or something like that, don't want to come, let them stay home. Interesting. That's a nice vision for the future. I think that's the perfect way to end. And uh, maybe tomorrow we could, uh, we could do a part two, sort of summarize and uh, go a little deeper. Okay, perhaps we'll see if we have the time. Thank you very much for allowing me on your show. And I really, really yeah, wish right. you all the best. Thank you very, very much. Keep up the good work you're doing. Wonderful work. Bye-bye.